Hey everyone, and welcome to this episode of Making the Argument. I am producer Hamilton. I am not Nick Freddy, who usually opens the show, and it is his show. But we have a special episode for you today. We have some really fun people here with a great topic to start us off. And I have an announcement after our introductions that I'm looking forward to get to getting to. And I'm gonna hand it right over to Tina Freitas, who's hosting today's episode. All right, so you guys are stuck with me today because Nick is traveling, and today I thought it might be fun to talk a little bit about the rise of female supremacy and. It all kind of came to a head for me when I saw some interesting products at the Build-A-Bear factory uh, highlighting women's history and and all these little funny clothes for, for girls um, highlighting girl bossery and, and all these wonderful things women can do and all of this. And it gave me the thought that, you know, feminism is dead and feminism has been sacrificed on the altar um, by its offspring, female supremacy. Oh, wow. And has been taken over by, you know, male simps and woman face wearing, uh, you know, overlords in the female supremacy movement. <laughs> so we're going to discuss that and we're going to talk about whether or not we think that women have really bought in to this weird transmogrification of feminism, its departure from what it was originally meant to be, and kind of ask the questions whether or not we think that most women are going this route and what's the backlash going to be and whether or not there is an answer to this that will be a lot healthier for women and better for their families. And so with us today, we have me, of course, Tina, Queen of the Bees. Queen of the Bees. Uh, and then we've got our daughter, Nick and I's daughter, Lily Anna, which, you know, yeah. we call her Lilykins, Lily, you know, Google We have Bear. at least half of Nick Freitas here today. <laughs> right there. That's right. And then we also have Christian Hines. We might call him Master Hines now because what? he's got that master degree. Oh, that's a, that's a new proposed nickname. I have a feeling that that's going to upset some people in the blue-haired woke crowd. I, it might. <laughs> Remember, because really they, they renamed Master Bedroom, right? So. Oh it, my <laughs> gosh. And then also with us today, we have Hamilton, the good Hamilton, the yes. one that doesn't like central yes, banking. Ma'am. And we also have <laughs> Nate Clancy here with us today, but he's sitting over to, you know, the left of uh, Hamilton, uh, shadowing Hamilton, watching how all of this stuff he is done. He doesn't get real, camera time yet. Real quick, before <laughs> we get into the episode, we do have a bit of an announcement. And I know Nick has been teasing this for quite a few months now. And I tell you, we've held off on this. We've tried to be strategic. And we have tried to find folks in Virginia that we could work with to make this happen, that we could buy American products from, have it printed locally, and have somebody that could help us print, fulfill, and ship directly to you. So today, I'm really excited to announce our Tread Around and Find Out mug. And there's also a shirt. And if you go to treadaroundandfindout.com, you can find the mug, the shirt, a combo. I've even put a combo in there for you on a discount that you can purchase both at the same time for a discount. And then we've got all different types of mugs as well and different shirts too. So I've left a link in the description here on the YouTube channel on Rumble and on the MTA channel. And if you're listening on audio, it'll be there as well. You can go to that link, go right to the website, purchase what you want and rep the Tread Around and Find Out brand. I think that would be really cool. All right. So let's go ahead and just dive right into this. We're going to start off with, you know, the definition of feminism and whether or not those of us at the table feel as though that's a good representation of modern feminism and, and what we think of when we think of feminism. So the original 
Definition of feminism was the advocacy of women's rights on the basis of equality of the sexes. That was pretty much it. That was that's the Oxford de- definition. And I don't know about you guys, but that doesn't seem to cut it as far as it what doesn't. I see when I look at feminism now. It's I mean even when I was a kid, feminism had departed from that. It's been many 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 decades since it was uh, equality of the sexes. In fact, I would argue today that we all have a different image in our mind when we think of feminism. So I'm going to just sort of start uh, with Christian and say, Christian, what do you think of, what what image pops in your head when you think of a feminist? Blue-haired, woke idiot. All right. So, Listen, don't hit too hard on the blue hair. I had blue hair. Okay. Oh yeah, that's sometimes true. just be a fun color. It's true. Every time, every time Lily dyes her hair, people are like, "Is she actually a liberal?" I know. Nick, Everyone Nick thought was... I went off the deep end when I dyed my hair. I'm like, guys, I swear. Nick told me a story once. It might have been actually like shortly after we were recording a podcast. This was I don't know, like six months ago or something like that. And he was like, because we were talking about woke is and maybe it was a particular episode about that and he was like yeah lily has gotten to a point where she doesn't really want to like dye her hair that much anymore because it's people associated with a particular political ideology i think what happened was is that there was a clip um by brett cooper of all people that played it where she was reading off a comment from somebody i think on like instagram or something and this person said it's gotten to the point where as soon as I see somebody with multicolored, you know, hair, I immediately think that they have a mental illness or something's gone wrong with them. All that and, hair dye. I know. And it's so <laughs> sad for, for people that actually love to go with these fun, bright colors. Like m- my best friend Susie always has a fun color and people probably just assume she's a liberal, but she's not. Although and there is power in that. I will that's say true. it is nice to go undercover. It's a nice disguise. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's just like... <laughs> so Lily, Lily, I mean, you didn't go to public school, but one year or mm-hmm. actually it was two years. And that was enough. And that was enough. <laughs> but, um, but you know what a feminist is. And so, but what is it that pops in your head when you think of a modern day feminist? Honestly, just annoying. I mean, I've heard a lot of people who are feminists talk and th- and this is just speaking on the ones that are truly hardcore feminist. Of course, there are people who just kind of like, they don't really understand politics. They don't really understand. They like the sound of feminism. So they just say they're feminist. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the people who are super hardcore just in your face about it. It's just, they get to talking and it's just so annoying because I feel like they're not giving me any facts or anything solid. They're just throwing out insults and all this it's just super annoying. <laughs> well, and then they have the same tropes that they always have, like the wage gap and, and oh, yeah. Gap, yeah, all this stuff, which, which has been debunked many times, many, many times. It was debunked like two decades ago, and they're still saying it. Um, so, Hamilton, how about you? Well, I've had the opportunity to be around of a lot of political events over the last couple of years. And so my, my experience with self-proclaimed feminist has been interesting because they're also uh, activists for, you know, uh, abortion um, wage gap and everything. And, and I find that they they also uh, feel that they are oppressed in one way or another. And I think in today's episode, we're probably going to get to the bottom of whether or not that is true. Yeah. Well, when I think of feminist modern day, I instantly get the image of the women's march, march where they were all wearing yeah. these big old vaginas that they had <laughs> 
stuffed and decorated. Who approved that? that? Like, <laughs> I, I don't know, but it, it, it was creepy. It was so creepy. But I, I think of that and I think of these unhinged, mentally unstable women that want to blame men for everything and that whine and complain for equality and they talk about rape culture, but they don't want to take any responsibility for their own security at all. They just want everybody to walk on eggshells around them and they it's it's just it's a it's that's what I think of I I don't mm -hmm. think of anybody that actually thinks for themselves I mean the, even even the ones that are even more mild are advocating for things like the government paying for them to to you know stay home if they want to if they want to have kids if, if they decide not to abort their child you know then they then they want the government to pay them to stay home um and it's they don't want any responsibility whatsoever for planning or 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 any kind of security, anything like that. They they don't want to have to think about you know their role in relationships. They don't you know everything is to serve women well, it, at this point. I, I think there we need to make the um there there are the people who attend the fem, uh, women's march in D.C. Uh -huh. Those are the the radical of radical in amongst the feminist movement. And then there are your feminists who aren't going to wear a vagina hat in D.C. in March, um, who who believe that, you know, being a feminist is about women's choice and women's empowerment. Um, but Christian, you were going to say something. Yeah, I was just going to bring up somebody once said, and I can't remember where the quote came from. So I'm not going to pretend that I'm genius enough to come up with it myself. But somebody once said that accountability is like kryptonite to feminists. Or to yeah. left-wing women in general. Like, yeah. like it is just... Because if you think about it, and you, and you get a lot of this on, on places like Twitter. Sorry, X. You all know what I mean. <laughs> um, there, there, A lot of the discourse when it comes to feminism, in anything that's associated with the gender side of, of wokeism, a, a lot of the discourse is usually built around this this just natural assumption that, that women don't have any sort of agency over their own life. Mm -hmm. And therefore it's all socioeconomic factors that determine everything. And, and so, so this is why you get things like the, the, the wage gap myth that never goes away, ever goes away. There's a video by uh, Mentis wave who we actually played one of his videos in a previous podcast, I think last week um, he did a, a really good video debunking the wage gap. And basically when you control for things like career choices, right. And whether or not you choose to have kids and the, the flexibility involved with that and the fact that women who want to have kids are going to go into a field that provides flexibility for you to to raise the child from home, especially after you give birth to it. When you when you control for all these other factors, you find that there's no wage gap at all. And then when you also control for the fact that there's tons and this gets into the point that I know you're going to want to get to in today's episode. When you also look at the fact that there's tons, tons of government favoritism directed towards women. It's a complete myth that disappears. You know, it goes by the wayside. But the problem is, is that this myth will never disappear in large part because there is no accountability for left wing women. I've brought up before on the podcast and gotten some flack for it that when you break people down by sex and by marital status, you have four quadrants. You have married and unmarried and you have men and women. When you look at voting patterns, what you find is that the majority of married men, overwhelming majority of married men, the majority of married women and the majority of unmarried men all vote on the right. 
they all at least on average hold center right views. So then the question is, why are we not a conservative country? Why do we not have a sane society that we're living in? Why are we living in clown world? We're living in clown world because that fourth quadrant, the Lily's over here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> because that, that fourth quadrant, no, Lily's pretty based and she's about to get married too. She's, she's about to move from one quadrant exactly. to the other. I'm about to be to the good quadrant. But like that fourth quadrant, unmarried women, they're the only group out of the four that vote for the left. And it's not like mildly vote for the left, like how unmarried men mildly vote for the right. It's overwhelming support for the left. Yeah. Lily is the outlier. It's like almost 70% of unmarried single women vote for left-wing candidates. That's the reason we have all of the problems that we've done multiple episodes about, the clown world we live, we live in, the wokeism that's dominated society. We've talked about things like the cathedral or the Leviathan. Those things draw their power from the voting base of single unmarried women who are the ones that feminist, uh, modern day feminist ideology is directly targeting. So, right. I, I mean, that, yeah. th that's where I'm coming from when it, when it comes to, this is actually a huge, huge part of the problem. I, I agree. And and we're going to go through a little bit later and talk about anti-feminists and, and the fact that they think it was a huge mistake to uh, give women, women the right to vote. So you tell us what you think of that in the comments. But um, so moving forward, I just wanted to um, kind of touch on the idea of man-hating and how this sort of has permeated throughout society, even girls when they're young, you know, there's always the boy that's the bully or whatever. Um, even in school, things are more geared toward girls. Boys are treated like they're defective girls in school. You know, all of the teaching methods and things like that are really geared toward girls. And so, uh, it's no surprise that when you look at higher education, women are outnumbering men now in higher in higher ed, going into um, get college degrees. And as as we kind of look at that, you've got it's interesting because I wouldn't necessarily say it's only leftist women that are engaging in man hating. I can't tell you how many times I've been in conversations with more conservative Christian women, even who will sit there and talk about their husband or their partner and, and just kind of run them through the mud and talk about, you know, basically what a knuckle dragger her husband oh, is. Oh yeah. Like I, I would hear all the time. If anyone knows anything about the cosmetology realm, like just gossip, all that stuff is just rampant through imagine. it. And oh yeah. And I, and I can't tell you how many wives will just be bashing their husbands or even not even wives, like just, somebody bashing their boyfriend or fiance and I'm sitting there and I'm like, I have nothing bad to tell you about my significant other or fiance. And <laughs> you can just tell how unhealthy that is to be talking to a complete stranger and well, it's almost become like this pastime among women to sit in their little, you know, gossip circle and discuss all of the down, you know, the downsides of men. Like let's discuss every flaw men have and just go through it and, oh, you know, men. It's just men, mm -hmm. you know. Boys will be it's boys. It's that GSR stuff that you, you, Tina, you missed the episode when we did the, the coming right-wing backlash reaction oh, yeah. from What I Fault His, but I sent that video around to Nick and you before we actually did the episode. That's why we did it. And Nick told me that you watched it. I, and I never had it. Unfortunately, you, 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 you were out, I think, getting milk that day. So you, <laughs> so you weren't on the show, but like- yeah. 
I never had a chance to get your feedback from it, but that what you just brought up is one of the things that is that 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 pops up in that in that 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 video, which is um, Rudyard in that video talks about the the three strategies that is pushed in woke culture, particularly the feminine side of woke culture, which is gossip, uh, gossiping, shaming, and rallying, and that's a replacement for like physical aggression. Right. So like when men you know, have a disagreement, there's either violence or the threat of violence. There's always like the threat of violence with men. And, and then we, we can, we can point to that and and identify flaws with it, obviously. Right. Mm -hmm. But when, when women obtain a significant amount of control over, let's say the HR department, right. Or other elements of society, they don't, they don't resort to violence, right. Instead they resort to gossiping, shaming, and rallying. And the, and the interesting difference is that when two men have a disagreement and then they get into a fight, especially if they're like younger men, like let's say they're in high school or college or something like that, even if you lose that fight, in some ways there's still a, a, an ability for you to like retain your honor as a man because you stood up and you fought. Oh, and half but, the time the men's walk men walk away and go have a beer together. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you know it's like they've they've gained. <laughs> uh, respect for each other at that point but if women and i've seen this firsthand through my sister who unfortunately did go to public school women are brutal oh yeah and they hold grudges for life ever when women have a disagreement there's no ability for you to retain your honor because you gossip and you shame and you publicly rally against your opponent and you destroy their social standing and there is no recourse at that point there's always a recourse for a man because it, it Worst case scenario, you take it out to the parking lot, right? Yeah. But for women, it's character assassination. It's character assassination. And how do you recover from that? Right. Lily, I'm wondering if you see any difference in your age group, um, having, you know, just gone through high school, uh, you know, classes and everything of that nature. Do you feel like younger women have that same gripe against men or man hating that, you know, women my age or older might have? So that's actually an interesting question. But as soon as you asked me that, I thought of an answer. I feel like it depends. Um, My biggest experience with that would be within theater and cosmetology, which are, it is well-known realms of very heavy left-wing, yes. Um, And so I would say, yes, I feel like it is prevalent with, younger women. However, I feel like I see it more in older women. Really? Yes. Yeah. I just personally, I feel like I've seen it more in older women. Um, although I do definitely see it with younger women around my age and stuff like that. Um, in do, my experience, do you I think that older. could be an indication of something that maybe the tides are turning? Maybe, maybe people are realizing they've been sold this bill of goods and they're not liking it and they're going another way. Do you think possibly or I think slowly but surely like that might be um, that might be where it's going. That's where I would hope it was going. Um, Unfortunately, I do believe that maybe most of the argument that is making women younger women change their mind is transgenderism Really, is because yes, because if they admit that, oh, all men are bad and whatever well then they're counting the women who have like become men or like and vice versa and so it give it draws more of a line between men and women and mm-hmm. i feel like they don't want to do that as well much. It, even in within feminism you have a split coming um you've got women that are turfs that uh and 
uh, turf would be somebody that's a radical feminist, but that is trans exclusionary. And so they don't believe that men can chop off their penis and, you know, invert it and get a fake, you know, what do you, what do they call okay. it? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so they don't believe that that makes you a woman. Um, and there's a lot of us, like, I wouldn't consider myself a feminist, but I definitely feel that if you're just going to put on a woman costume, like you're going to wear woman face and then tell me, you know what it is to be a woman. Well, and that's just I, biology. That's not even about feminism or not. That's just yeah, and, reality. And you have no basis in reality to know whether or not you feel like a woman or not. You may feel like wearing something pretty and painting your fingernails and getting some breast implants. That's fine. You may feel like that. But that is not what it is to be a woman. And to boil us down to nothing more than a costume so, is an insult. And so a lot of feminists have gone absolutely not so you've got you've got uh what's her name that wrote harry potter what is jk her? rowling jk rowling who i mean she's been skewered because the woke have completely taken over feminism so this split of turf turfs is actually a very small segment for anybody who doesn't know what does turf stand for trans uh trans exclusionary radical feminist okay so like that's why i'm not a turf is because i'm not a radical feminist i was gonna say mm -hmm. turfs are you know what turfs are Turfs are left-wing wokists who are upset that wokeism has gone too far and is now transgressing over their sacred cows. Yeah. And and th this is something that all people on the left don't necessarily realize. It's a ratchet. This is also why, unfortunately, when you look at the right, we typically elevate the voices of people that are former leftists. Because as I've brought up multiple times in this podcast, the Leviathan only moves in one direction. It moves left. Yeah. It might move very, very slowly, as Curtis Yarvin brought up once, but it nonetheless will always move to the left. And so what happens over time is that people who used to be firmly identified in left-wing politics, in left-wing spheres, J.K. Rowling, for example, huge former donor to the Labour Party, massive left-wing yeah, person in the UK. And yet now she's associated with the far right. And the reason why is because over time, the culture has shifted so far to the left that somebody like Rowling is now considered a reactionary. Right. And and you see the same thing over and over and over Even again. Even though she's still totally pro-abortion and all of yes, that. Yes, I mean- So it, she's it, still a feminist. And so what you end up getting is these people who, they didn't have any problem with, with left-wing politics, left-wing culture, left-wing identity politics, the, the, the precursors to wokeism, or even wokeism itself, until it crossed a line that they had set for themselves. And in Rowling's case, it was- the, the trans nonsense, yeah. right? And the second that wokeism crosses that, and it always will because it never stops. Again, like I said, it's always swimming to the left, even if it's swimming slowly. The second that it crosses that, boom, now those people are immediately put into the conservative category. This is how you get things like the um, uh, co-host of Young Turks, Anna Kasparian, is on the verge of becoming red-pilled now. She's Because she's going through the exact same thing that Rowling went through over the last like four or five years. Yeah. Yeah. Chris, real quick, what is the Leviathan? So the Leviathan is a term that I came up with to describe. I mean, other people have used the term to describe government entities. I think I, I think it was Samuel Francis who wrote an interesting book called The Leviathan and Its Enemies. And it, and it comes from the, the term Thomas Hobbes, a um, uh, political philosopher from several hundred years ago that was kind of uh, um, writing in the same mold as, as John Locke. And um, the Leviathan is a term that I use to describe something larger than what Curtis Yarvin calls the cathedral. 
Yarvin, who's a famous neo-reactionary thinker, came up with this term, the cathedral, probably like 15 years ago to describe the media and academia and the extreme left-wing ideological capture over those two institutions. What I call the Leviathan is kind of a larger version of that because there's more institutions than just the media and academia. Mm -hmm. For example, there's Hollywood, there's the entertainment complex, there's corporate America, there's Wall Street, there's Silicon Valley. But they kind of all work together as this they, big machine this and is they how all you, go one, one yes, direction. Yes, this is how you get something like how on earth does the board of directors at Disney, the faculty at Berkeley, and the editorial staff at the New York Times, and, you know, every single Silicon Valley, you know, mega investor, mm -hmm. you know, VC, venture capitalist, like, how do every single one of those people or institutions all happen to agree and push the same exact thing? So when I say Leviathan, I mean the cathedral plus, mm -hmm. right? It's, yeah. it's everything larger than that. Well, I, I would say that I think um, a lot of this man-hating female supremacy stuff is um, largely responsible for the trans movement um, because it mostly goes female to like male to female. Um, and they're, you know, men that basically want to be women because I think we've glorified women men has become overwhelming. Right. And there's so much man hating. I mean, especially it, if you've grown up, especially if it's a man who's grown up mm -hmm. with like parents that push that and everything, yeah. because and, you're going to end up with a weak man mm -hmm. who is more susceptible to that. He's not going to be able to handle the pressure that he's being put under. And so what's the best form of escape? Oh yeah. It's, oh, let, let, let me get, get out of woman. this bad label. And so it's this idea that they, everything in society is telling young men and boys that being a young man and a boy is bad and that that's not something you should want to be. And I, I kind of feel like all of this man-hating um, and, and this female supremacy stuff makes me kind of wonder if really what's going on is that they have not experienced the joy of just having really high-quality meat. Mommy! <laughs> I'm talking about good ranchers. <laughs> I'm talking about good ranchers. Oh, oh yeah. My. There you go. Nick, match that segue, Okay. Hey, uh, Hamilton, would you mind mansplaining this for us? Well, after that, so I'm not sure if, uh, if I can do this justice. But anyway, we are really proud to have Good Ranchers as our title sponsor here on Making the Argument. If you haven't tried Good Ranchers yet, we have all tried it at this table. It is excellent. The chicken, the steak, the seafood, we love it. I've told my friends about it. I've told my friends' parents about it, everybody. And if you use our code NICK, I'm not, you know, promo code NICK at the link at goodranchers.com. You can get $15 off your order, free shipping, and for the month of November, you can choose what meat you get for free for a period of one year with every order. So go to that link in the description at goodranchers.com. You can use that link. Also, if you're looking for Christmas gifts and you have somebody in your life that is difficult to shop for, I myself, I don't like thinking of what gift I'm going to get somebody. So I know that I'm going to be utilizing this Good Ranchers deal this year uh, to purchase some gifts for some friends and family. They have three different gift boxes that you can get and they're great. You can ship them right to them. It's going to be awesome. I just want to bring up Nick just wrote in the chat. He's he, he, he said epic in the chat. Yes. By the way, today and today only, promo code Nick stands for Nick Hamilton. Yes. So yes. you need to go order today to tell Good Ranchers that Nick Hamilton is more popular than Nick Freitas. Um, by the way, the, the choice of meat that Hamilton was hinting at, I don't think that he said it. It includes bacon. 
So you definitely need to order now if you like bacon as much as I do, at least. Yeah. I have a feeling our comments are probably kind of funny at the moment in the chat, but I'm not able to look at them. Let, 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 me, let me get to the two super chats that we've had so far. Mm -hmm. This one's from David. He says, I know... I have been known to say it's no coincidence that the advancement of progressive movement and women's suffrage happened around the same time. Thoughts on that? The advancement, say that one more time, yep. the advancement. Read it again. I've been known to say that it's no coincidence that the advancement of the progressive movement yeah. and women's suffrage happened around the same time. Right. And, you know, it's interesting because anytime, like in history, anytime there's sort of this uprising to kind of throw off the shackles of you know, maybe it's the throw off the shackles of the nobility or it's to throw off the shackles of the patriarchy or whatever it is. For some reason, the socialists get in there and they're like, we're the way to do it. And so all of these people, like they, they go the socialism route. I don't know yeah. why. I mean, the French did it, you know, a lot, a lot of folks uh, in the U S did it. And so it's, it's interesting how, so that socialist mindset or communist mindset, even Marxist, I guess, it, it sort of permeates under the surface of some of these movements. They like it likes to latch onto a, a pretty legitimate movement, you know, uh, people with legitimate grievances, and then they offer themselves up as the solution. And it never goes well. Never goes well. All right, we got two more super chats here. One from Isaac. He said it's important that men begin to push back on feminism, not because of hatred of women, but because we love women, our wives, our daughters, and our friends. Lily, I'm interested to hear what you think would be a reasonable way for men to push back on this idea of feminism. Just not give into it, really. I mean, I I feel like don't play your game. I know. <laughs> like don't don't give into it. Like heighten your standards. Um for women. Although in the end, I do say it's more the responsibility of women who aren't feminists. To push back on to this. To offer something else. Yes. Yeah. Because men are going to do the best they can, but like no matter how right strong men can be or whatever, it's the women who are pushing all That's this right. stuff. That's right. I mean, women, like the, the, there is, you know, they, they push out this toxic masculinity stuff and they highlight every masculine trait as being toxic. But what they never talk about is toxic traits that are, that women are prone to. And um, there is a video that I would love to show uh, Hamilton, this yep. first one, um, where that. she sort of talks about what has happened to feminism and what has happened, you know, in the relationship dynamic uh, between men and women. Let me say one thing right off the bat. I don't necessarily like adding the prefix toxic to an idea as broad as masculinity or femininity. But for far too long, our culture has been echoing with the chance of patriarchy and toxic masculinity. And if I were to play the same exact game, I think there's more behavior in modern society that can definitely be regarded as toxic femininity. While ideologies like feminism have been fixated on tearing men down, they've created a new class of women with behaviors just as toxic as the ones that they're so hell-bent on eradicating. It's a fun fact. The term toxic masculinity was created in the 80s by a psychology professor named Shepard Bliss. He created a men's movement called the Mythopoetic Men's Movement, where he conducted workshops, retreats, therapy, etc. for men to 
counteract societal pressures and indoctrinated beliefs men had. His ultimate goal was to create better, healthier men. However, feminists took the phrase and then began attributing actual masculine traits such as dominance, stoicism, masculinity, and competitiveness as toxic masculinity. So now the term is at an all-time high. Here's the deal. Despite the strides that feminism has claimed to have made in the female empowerment movement, there's still a halo effect that surrounds women as being innocent, oppressed, or victimized, a lot of which have stemmed from feminism itself. A lot of the behaviors we call toxic femininity are the result of women leveraging this societal image to their advantage. Feminism promised women equal rights, but left them halfway without giving them the responsibilities to accompany it. This created a batch of entitled women that ridicule men and their sacrifices while dismissing the massive responsibilities they shoulder. This disconnect is exactly what lies at the core of toxic femininity. Imagine for a second telling a generation of women that they are being oppressed and that the masculine patriarchy is what's holding them back. You can very quickly expect them to turn bitter against the very men that's holding up society. And that's exactly what happened. Toxic femininity is the result of turning genders against each other in an angry game of vendettas. A woman today knows she can completely ruin a man's life simply by opening up her mouth and spitting out an accusation. The downside of a society that's geared towards believing all women is that it gives women a certain level of power. And like any other group with power, it's inevitable that some of its members will use it for bad. This is the current state of our society. Women know how easy it is to get male attention. You know, there was a study done in the UK, I believe it was in 2014, and then it was done again in 2019. It revealed that over 50% of women have a backup plan while still in committed relationships. This means that they have a plan B in case their current relationship fails. Women initiate 70% of the divorces in America. When it comes to college educated women, this number jumps up to 90%. And the other sad truth is a lot of times women create hurdles in letting fathers see and bond with their own children, a lot of whom they're paying child support on, all because a lot of them are still bitter from the man moving on with another woman or the man not wanting them anymore. This is what toxic femininity looks like. Women like this in relationships use their toxic femininity as a weapon to manipulate men. They usually do this through shaming a man, making him feel inferior or constantly threatening him with divorce and custody because they know that the law is usually softer on them. So they lean on that. All of these are just derivations of a woman's femininity taken to a twisted extreme and used to their advantage. You know, honestly, I feel like nothing is a bigger example of toxic femininity than the entire ideology of toxic masculinity itself. The reason why I say that is because it's a phrase that has chipped away at men's security by deriding them of their masculine qualities and dismissing their vital roles in society. Honestly, it's time we either stop using the term toxic for men or started using it across the board, really. We've built a society where people are chanting for rights without responsibility or accountability that accompanies it. We're constantly pitting groups against one another, and one of those groups happens to be men and women. In a world like this, you better expect toxicity on both sides, because to pretend that only men are capable of it is the epitome of toxicity itself. So to the next video, I'll see you guys later. That's right. So that I just wanted to highlight that, you know, we've got a lot of new voices coming forward, you know, to offer a, a different way. <laughs> the ads never end. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so there's a lot of, you know, a while back, people asked uh, in the chat, this was probably might have been a year ago or so, like, what women do you look up to as a woman? And at the time, I felt like not many, there weren't many, uh, like women in society that I felt like I could look up to and, and glean from. And I feel, you mean you don't look up to Hillary Clinton <laughs> and, like and I, every other woman. But I feel like that is really changing because there's plenty of women for leftist women to look up to, you know, plenty. And and like we were at the Build a Bear factory 
uh, for Lily's 21st <laughs> My 21st birthday. birthday. I wanted to go and, to Build-A-Bear. <laughs> right. And there was this entire kiosk dedicated to girl power. And it had Ruth Bader Ginsburg stuff, Kamala Harris stuff. There was like all this leftist female um, girl power stuff. But there was not a single person on the right. And it's not because they don't exist. It's because they get demonized by the Leviathan, so to speak. Like they, they get demonized in media, you know, um, everywhere. And so the the only women for, uh, for, for women to look up to tend to be on the left. But I feel like that is really starting to change. And, you know, we had like Phyllis Shafley for a long time, and then her daughter has taken her place. And- um, you know, these are women to to look up to. There are there are good things that they are saying, but there's also like this new generation of women that are recognizing this need. Um, we're recognizing that this, there is sort of this female supremacy, man hating thing going on, and uh, you know, it it's killing itself basically. Yeah. And so I, I wanted to move to the next yeah, real quick before we move on. That YouTuber's name was Olivia Alexa. Yeah, I would suggest her following credit. her. She's she's really cool. And then um, there is this one now. She is not. This next woman is not um, on the right. She is. She considers. You know, she wrote a book talking about, you know, what feminism has gotten wrong. But like even women on the left, this is my example of even women on the left are recognizing that they've been sold a crappy bill of goods. And so I just wanted to show this. It beeps out uh, the word sex a couple times. I'm not sure why they even need to beep that out. It's so weird. It might but, it might be because of the, the algorithm YouTube potentially algorithm. punishing. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So go ahead and, and play it. Rethinking and it was basically about our sexual culture. But this is one thing that I spent a lot of time writing about in the book, this idea that the feminist movement shifted over time in a way that I don't necessarily think was positive. Original feminists were, what they said really was that, you know, women are important. Women should be respected as much as men are respected. Women should be allowed to partake in society as much as men are, but women should also be respected as women for being themselves. Slowly over the years, we've shifted through this playboy to girl boss culture where it's like, okay, well, men have a lot of power. And in fact, honestly, kind of the worst men tend to have a lot of power. To be a successful woman, just be more like the most powerful man who's often like the worst kind of man. So it's like, women, be a girl boss, which is still a boss. Instead of being a playboy, you're just a play girl. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. You're just like picking up the same things instead of being respected for like your actual self. And that hasn't been healthy for women either. I wrote... So... This is the idea that women, you know, they wanted their equality, the whole deal. And um, they maybe they resented the idea that men were a lot more maybe sexually liberated. Men could go and and do their thing. And um, and they didn't lose any value by having like a high body count or whatever. And women wanted that, too. Instead of trying to get men to be more monogamous and to get men to rise above, you know, rise above this bad behavior that everybody can see is bad behavior to just go and just sleep with everybody. Um, 
we all recognize it's bad behavior, but instead of women trying to get men to rise to the occasion and, and be a better version of themselves in this area, women just wanted to be able to go and, and do the exact same thing. Stoop down to their level. Right. Which I think is crazy because the whole argument behind the feminist movement is, especially if you get into the really hardcore feminist crazy ones, right? Um, the whole point behind it is women are superior and they're the best and all this stuff. Well, then why did we stoop down to these bad men's level Mm -hmm. instead of pulling them up to our level? That's right. And so it wasn't really, I feel like a lot of this isn't really about um, just women empowerment and women being equal. It's just, you want to do the things that men do without any of the consequences. Pretty much women had a bad (laughs) case of FOMO and decided (laughs) that they wanted to go and spread themselves around just like men. The problem is that um, women typically couldn't do that because they would be strapped down with a baby as a result most of the time, which is one of the reasons why abortion is the number one sacrament within feminism. That is, it is, I mean, it is their sacred cow, so to speak, which I don't think I'm supposed to say stuff like that. I said that term earlier, so... Okay, well, I'm guilty of it first. <laughs> well, it's the ultimate. I feel like it's the ultimate slap in the face to men, because in my opinion, which is probably a controversial opinion, um, I feel like as long as women are allowed to have abortions without the consent of the father, which I don't think abortion should happen regardless. But as long as women are allowed to have an abortion, kill their child without the consent of the father, men shouldn't be forced to pay child support. Because if women can just randomly decide like, oh, I don't want to be a mom. I don't want this responsibility. And they can just kill their baby without the consent or even talking with the father. But once the father doesn't want the responsibility of being a father, it's like, no, we need to hold him accountable. Yeah. And this, this where's your accountability? This is one example as, as to uh, like what female supremacy looks like. Cause all a woman has to do is say that this dude is the father And then the court will just tell them that they've got to pay all this money. And then later on, maybe through 23andMe or Ancestry.com, they find out this kid wasn't theirs the whole freaking time. And that happens a lot more than people want to admit. And so that's why there's a, which state is it that just enacted the law saying that every child um, who basically the father and the baby, they have to establish paternity for every Mm -hmm. child born. Was it in Kentucky or? I'm not sure. I can't remember. One of the states, um, they passed a, a law. Basically, it's it's to protect men, basically, from being accused of of paternity that they dispute. And so they check the DNA because this has kind of been a rampant problem with men being forced to to care for children and send you know money for kids that aren't even theirs. And um, so I. I have my own thoughts on that. I don't necessarily think that anybody should be collecting DNA at birth. That's a little bit overreach to me, uh, government-wise. Yeah, agreed. But I also think if there's a question of paternity, then it should mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah, if someone's bringing up a case that a man should be paying child support or going a legal route, then yeah, there should be a paternity test. Yeah, especially the, if he wants one. Part like, of the reason why the state is interested in doing this is because if they cannot establish who the father is, the state ends up being the one that has to cover everything pretty much. So they want to know who the dad is, right? Um, so basically we're kind of touching on the idea that, that, you know, 
feminism, it's, yeah, it's a bunch of this man-hating stuff. It's become, like, female supremacy. Oh, do you have something yeah, going on there? Continue, but let me get to the super chat here in a second. Okay, okay. So then I wanted to kind of establish that we're seeing this not not just, it's, it's permeating through society all the way down to, like, children in education, um, you know, kids' clothing, things like that. And I just wanted to show some of those examples. Oh, yeah. Let me hit the super chat real okay. quick before we do that, if y'all don't mind. This one's from Matthew. He said, I'm wondering why we always say that we need to empower certain groups of people. Why do certain ideological groups deserve empowerment rather than empowering themselves? I agree. Because empowering an individual is not how you achieve political power. I, I brought this up in our episode immediately after the Hamas attacks on Israel when people were asking, how on earth could you get queers for Palestine? Don't they execute people who identify as queer in Palestine? And the answer to that is, is of course, yes. Mm -hmm. But at the same token, this sound, for us on the right, this sounds like an inherent contradiction, right? Queers yeah. for like like trees for deforestation, right? It, it just, it sounds like an inherent contradiction. And I pointed out, I, I had this little monologue at the very end of that episode where I read off something that I had written, I think, the day before. And and I, I won't read the entire thing again, but what I was trying to get across in, in that in that monologue was the it appears like a contradiction to you, and therefore, because it's a contradiction, it shouldn't exist. But in reality, the fact that it is a contradiction is exactly why it does exist, because the contradiction allows the left to accumulate power because they broaden the avenues through which they try to achieve power. And power is the end goal here. Make no doubt about it. The difference between leftism and liberalism is leftism seeks the consolidation and acquisition of power. Actually, it's it's reversed. They seek the acquisition and then consolidation of power. And so the reason that you get things like queers for Palestine, the reason that you see this obsession with identity-based rather than individual-based aspirations is because individual-based aspirations is not a mechanism through which you can achieve power. Empowering you as an individual does not help me obtain political power. Empowering you as a woman, though, mm -hmm. does help me obtain political power because your identity and your rights as a member of a group are predicated on something more than just yourself, whereas your own self-worth, your own identity, your own rights as an individual, well, that rests upon you. But if you derive your entire being, if you derive everything that you have, all of your successes, all of your dreams, all of your hopes, if all of those things come from something beyond just yourself, from, from a group, well, then somebody had to have given that to you other than just yourself. And me as the political demagogue on the left, obviously I'm not a political political demagogue on the left. I'm using this as an example. But me as a political demagogue on the left, by pushing identity-based rights, especially identity-based rights towards people who traditionally would never actually have a degree of wealth or power or status in society, either through, through the inherent actions and decisions of that individual or through no fault of their own. Either way, though, for people who again, under a normal, sane functioning society would not have status or wealth or power. Well, now if they're given the the ability to share in said status, wealth or power in exchange for giving their political loyalty to an ideology, well, that's a trade-off that works in favor of the person who falls into that identity at the benefit of me, the political demagogue. And so this is how you get this like I've said before, I've, I've quoted Nick Land on this so many times now, it's become just a tagline for me. 
you know, the arc of history is long, but it bends towards zombie apocalypse. And and what what Land meant by that when he wrote that was that we are pandering towards the worst elements of society. As I've said before, the worst off an individual or group acts, either through no fault of their own or because they willingly choose to act like idiots. Doesn't matter. The worse off an individual or per, um, or group acts, the more praise the left lavishes upon them. Think about how much praise the left lavished upon Hamas for crying out loud just a month ago. Think about how much praise the left lavishes upon the most radical blue-haired woke feminists that are studying queer theory at Berkeley. Those people are losers. They're not cultivating any sort of skills that will you know, allow them to succeed in the real world. They're studying an ideology that leads you nowhere other than mass graves. And yet the left lavishes praise upon them. The left does not lavish praise upon a mother who raises a new generation of people. No, in fact, uh, uh, you know, who, who settles down and starts a family. The left doesn't lavish praise on that. The left demonizes that. Right. It's shackles and chains. I mean, that's that's really after getting the vote, you know, and after getting uh, certain other elements of equality in society, trying to remove hurdles and things like that for women or whatever the suffragettes originally wanted. We are so far from that now, and and it almost inevitably had to go this direction. And the reason I say that is because, first of all, they had to demonize the family. They had to destroy the family and make the woman more important than the family. And and whatever her hopes and dreams were, were more important than the family. And then on top of that, you have an education system. You have everything else really, really geared toward telling women what their hopes and dreams should be. You should not want to stay home with your kids. That you're just a mom. That's saying somebody is just a mom implies that they sit on their couch, eat bonbons and and watch television while their kid runs around on the floor. And that is not what being a mother is at all. And they have taken the beauty of what it is to be a woman and what it is to, I mean, women are very unique. You know, we, we take it for granted right. what a woman can do with her body. Like, it, like, just think about a woman can create a human being inside her body. Right. And we're just discounting that. Like, oh, that's not a big deal. <laughs> right. Women, <laughs> that's women, amazing. For the most part, unless there's something wrong, women have the ability to create legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing is, is, is that Feminism has told women that what they should aspire to is career. What they should aspire to is that nine to five job. They should get out there in the workforce and be a force to be reckoned with. Basically, what they want to do is everything a man does, but not as good. Like, and the reason I say not as good is because they want special treatment when they get into these areas. Uh, There was one video that I did not put in here, but it was a, a woman that was having to do hiring at a um, computer programming um, firm. And she said she really wanted to hire women, but what she realized is that the women had gotten there, gotten to where they were because of these various programs set in place to get quotas of women. And they said, she said, at the end of the day, I found that a lot of these women were lazy. A lot of these women were, had cheated to get where they were. And the men had worked hard. The men had would stay and stay in the office and work late. They would, they would do what it took to put out a better product than what the women would do. Because they had to. Men aren't given the benefit of the doubt. Right. And they so, just aren't. So ultimately, she ended up hiring men 
because, and, and she said, this is just, this makes our gender look so bad. But the problem is, is that if, if we're trying to make women feel a hundred percent fulfilled in their career, uh, that nobody ever on their deathbed says that they wish that they would have done, you know, more PDF files and more, you know, (laughs) Excel spreadsheets. Nobody. That's such a great line. But it's like, but, but then they, this idea that these relationships with our kids are not important Mm -hmm. and, and that, nurturing the next generation isn't important. You're going to be later in life. There are a lot of people who don't understand why their kids don't come visit them. They don't understand why their kids have gone no contact with them and things like that. And some of it is because they have always put, um, their career first and they, they put their kid on whatever track would put them into basically, uh, indoctrination, you know, situation with, with education. So it's like, we want our kid to be super, super successful and success equals lots and lots of money, lots and lots of money to do that. You got to go to this Ivy league school. And they never consider the fact that from the time they set their foot into public school all the way up through college, there is a wedge driven between the family unit and that kid. And the whole thing undermines the relationship between the parent and the child. And now you got more and more people that are these nuclear families and the exterior family is no longer a thing. So they're not leaning on grandparents or aunts and uncles or people like that to help them with childcare whenever, if they have to go back to work or things like that. Instead, they're defaulting and sending them to daycare. And then daycare has been proven to cause a lot of detachment disorders and behavioral problems later on in life. And there's a gal that did uh, an interview. Um, her name is Alex. The Alex Clark. Alex Clark did an interview with a psychoanalyst who is, uh, she's brilliant, but she's also um, more a little more on the left. But, but she advocates for families to not... Um, do daycare. Daycare should be the last resort. But like feminism has taught women that this is what you do. You stick your kid into this class with these 15 other little kids. They're not going to get the care they need. And in those first three years of life, everything emotionally, all your emotional attachment stuff is being hardwired. And like 70% of, of one side of your brain is, is fully developed by the age of three. Well, if, if from one to three, you've got your kid in daycare, you're, they're underdeveloped in this area and it's going to come out in their teens. Well, and this is what I always say to people too. I'm like, if you, you can have dreams and you can have a career and a good career as a woman, like no one's saying you can't do that. But as soon as you have children, your whole life should be dedicated to what is best for your children. I don't like hearing the whole, oh, yeah, I would like to do this for my kids, but my career and my career and my career. It's like, yeah, of course, there are situations like you're a single mom. Of course, you have to work if you're a single mom. And like there are extenuating circumstances, but you're still doing what's best for your kid. Right. The best that's in your ability. I have I have friends and coworkers who are single moms and stuff like that. And they, and they do what's best for their kids with the best of their ability. And so no one's saying that that's wrong, but it should always be. What is best for your child? Well, not and and best if you, for you if you do need childcare because sometimes you do, mm-hmm. and yeah. and sometimes you do need to go back to work. I mean, a lot of people cannot do it on a single income. Now, 
Do I think that sometimes we prioritize comfort and luxury and excess over what's best for our family sometimes? Yeah, people do mm-hmm. it all the time. And it is a sacrifice to to use one income only. And sometimes it's not possible. However, if you maintain good relationships with your family, you might be able to work out something where grandma watches the baby or your sister watches the baby or whatever it is. You Maybe you can work out your schedule with your spouse um, in order to trade off. And so that there is always a parent or somebody attached to that child because they, they need you during that time. And feminism has really made motherhood like it painted motherhood as being just shackles and chains on women Mm -hmm. and that that is not all we're good for and that we should do strive for more strive for better and i just look at that and i'm going you're just trying to be a second rate man Mm -hmm. um we need to get to some of the super chats we do we have a super chat from Susie who says biblically men and women are equal aspects of god together they make the whole of who god is when they are married New feminism is destroying the face of God's creation, turning men into women, destroying the family, and you destroy society. I mean, it's hard to argue with that logic. No, and that, that, that is something that annoys me. Everyone will pull the scripture from the Bible saying, like, women submit to your husbands. And they'll point at that and be like, see, God God thinks women's not equal to men. And No, there's a difference between being equal and having different jobs or different talents and abilities mm-hmm. um well and they always yeah. ignore the next part where it says husbands you know Should love your wife as wives. christ loved the, the church <laughs> and gave himself for her yes. the thing is is men are told to lay their lives down for the woman mm-hmm. lay their actual the life down for the woman and we can't even say okay i'll submit to that decision are you kidding me yeah. And, and I, I have That's watched, my patriarchy though, Tina. Yeah, I have watched so many Christian women, women who will like, they'll go, uh, I, submission doesn't really mean what they, people have the wrong view of submission. It's, it's really not to like submit. It's, it's more like a, an undergirding, if you will, like sort of a, a helpmate. And, and they start like doing these mental gymnastics to try to come up with why women don't really need to submit to their husbands or or they'll do this little number where they're like, yeah, I'll submit, but then they're going to make your life hell for you making whatever decision you made. And then should we mm. be surprised when in turn men decide they don't want to lay down their life? Right. I because, mean, it, for example, I, I, I love the the people who believe in my patriarchy. I'm, I'm a <laughs> bit of a, 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 a huge nerd, so I'm going to bring up a, an example that not a lot of people will get, but just that's who I am. August 22nd, 1914. It's a date that almost nobody knows, um, unless you're a big history nerd. Except you. Except for me. August 22nd, 1914. It was the bloodiest day in the thousand-year history of the French nation. They lost 27,000 kids, 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds, mowed down in the Ardennes Forest in the opening weeks of World War I. 27,000 killed, not wounded, killed. Half of all American casualties in the entire 12-year-long Vietnam War in one afternoon. How many of them were women? No. And, and so the, the, the reason I bring this, this story up is because, and I know that this was over 100 years ago, but, but the, these were kids. They were all men. But, but, I mean, many of them were boys or just, just out of boyhood and, and had just become men. Every single 27,000 dead and they're men. And so the reason I bring this story up is because we should not be surprised today 
to find that how many how many people in France today do you think would be willing to march out and, and die for their country? How many French men do you think would be willing right. to do that? How many American men do you think would be willing to do that? I read an article the other day that showed that the military is struggling to recruit millennials and Zoomers. Young men don't want to die for their country anymore. So this this passage from the Bible about submit to your wives and then men lay down your life as Christ did for the church. You should not be surprised to see that if it works both ways, right? Feminists will say, oh, I, especially Christian feminists will say, I reject that passage, but then are, are stunned to find that men are rejecting their responsibility as well. Right. I don't think that there's, if, well, if you had a, offended by that, like you can't reject your part, but I can reject my part. Like <laughs> it literally is. I feel like women just want to be princesses in a little castle and they want a butler, not a husband. Like, <laughs> like literally just to, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you definitely, um, I mean, I, the idea of submission versus, you know, laying your life down for somebody, you know, it's not like a biblical husband is supposed to like have the woman yield under his boot over right. every little thing. And there are people who have that view and that is not biblical. And you said a really key point there, biblical husband. Right. Yeah. Because you're supposed to submit to your husband. Yes with what is in the Lord. And it's like, if, if your husband decides like, oh, we're going to start doing drugs now, like, of course you're going to be like, okay, I'm not going to submit to that. That's not right. biblical. But, um, as long as your husband is following within the will of the Lord, yes, submit to that because by submitting to that, you're submitting to God. Well, typically all this boils down to is like, look, I make decisions all the time without having to consult Nick because there are areas of our life and our finances and things like that 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 he delegates over to me. Um, ultimately, though, he's on the hook for decisions I make, right? Um, he's responsible a lot of times financially for decisions I make. So I've got to make good decisions, right? But then also you have this other aspect where it's like the only time the whole submission thing comes into play is when you're at an impasse, when you've discussed everything, you you have two different ways that you want things to go. Like, let's say it's a big, big decision. And he, he has the burden of making the decision for what's going to be best for the family. Mm -hmm. And we, at the end of the day, need to yield to it. Now, also, it's a big burden for men to not be selfish in that. He is supposed to consider his family and what's best for his family and what's best for his wife. And, and so it's not like an opportunity for men to have carte blanche to be like, we're going to do whatever I want all the time. It's, it's not really supposed to be a whim situation like that. It's supposed to be, you know, you got big, big decisions, but anyway, I I'm getting off topic here. No, we we've got two super chats. I want to get to right now. One is from Torino. Women can have it all, but not all at once. Career can come later, but there's a limited fertility window. That is absolutely true. And they talked about that in um, Alex Clark's interview. And I can't remember the name of the lady that she interviewed, but um, they were discussing the daycare situation. And she was saying, look, you know, you can have your career, you can do these things, you just you you need to do it in the right timing. Your child needs you. Prioritize your child. Right. Your child needs you. And there is a point where your child doesn't need you quite as much. And you can, 
you can um, make adjustments at that point. But there is like that first couple of first few years, they desperately need you. Mm-hmm. They are developing certain things within themselves. And in order to have a healthy um, emotional capacity and mental capacity and problem solving and all of this, in order to be healthy in this way and interacting with people, they need all of that to be really, really solid at that time. And that is the problem with career versus children is a lot of women are putting their careers number one. And, and this is sort of, I, I blame, I blame feminism for this. Um, women kind of putting their careers first and not, and sort of kids are an afterthought, you know, Mm -hmm. who they might marry, who, who they might settle down with and, and kids are an afterthought or maybe they're an accident one or the other. And then, um, at that point it's about, how can I raise, how can I, you know, basically do the bare minimum and get by and, and still do whatever I want to do. Kids are really left in the dust. I mean, just think about the fact that there are women who are more readily willing to have children with a man before marrying the man. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like there are women who willingly like actually tried for children with a man that they're not married to. And then they'll say like, Oh, I'm just not ready to marry him. How are you not ready to marry him, but you're ready for him to be the father of your children? Oh, yeah. That is like the most <laughs> long-term commitment you can make. And you know what? This brings up another interesting point is that, uh, you know, that players in the NBA were basically sent a memo to tell them that they needed to flush their condoms because all these one-night stands they were having, women were pulling the condoms out of the trash and using the sperm inside of them in order to impregnate themselves, and they could get money that way. So this is, they get rich baby daddies this way. I'm telling you, like this whole idea that women are these delicate little flowers. No, man, women can be horribly deceitful and awful. Like they can be toxic. And that's just an aspect of it. Go ahead. All right. One last super chat here from Ollie. He said, it's almost like feminism was weaponized to be a family killer who's easiest to control, a healthy family unit or a disbanded lost generation. My fiance is my mate and my other half. 100%. 100%. Yes. Thank you. I, I, feel, I feel like feminism really has destroyed the family unit, unit. And it, and it, um, and it's really, I don't think it's feminism anymore. I think it became female supremacy. And I was going to say the, the definition I'm using for female supremacy, um, basically there isn't an Oxford definition of female supremacy. There's matriarchy, but that doesn't really, um, cover it all and then there's what's the gynocentric gynocentric weird anyway (laughs) what what i'm talking about is female supremacy and the matriarchy doesn't fully fit it because matriarchy is you know women being basically in control in society like a women-led society but female supremacy goes even further and that is um the belief that women are inherently superior to men so like inherently we're superior that societies should be women run and that men being inferior should defer to women always. So, and this is a full on, there, there is an undercurrent of people who truly believe this kind of a thing. Um, I, I couldn't pull up the videos that we have um, because they just weren't good for this kind of a setting, but they're basically like these, these simp training videos. <laughs> so th- there are these videos that, that you're supposed to put on almost like ASMR where you put it on at night and it's supposed to train your brain and, and rewire your brain out of being a toxic male and into becoming a beta simp for women to control. And it, 
it turned my stomach when I found these. And the only reason I brought them in and tried to use them, but we couldn't use them. The only reason I brought them in is because there were so many, there was a massive abundance of these, which means someone's using these things. Somebody's actually doing this. And, um, it was all just belittling men and talking about their tiny little brains. Yeah. It was creepy. It was really creepy. And, and there was even one that like was stating all of these fake facts about all of the biological reasons why women are superior. (laughs) And I just kind of thought, Ooh, wait, you mean biology has something to do with this? Really? Uh, check your other feminists and see if they agree with you that biology matters because, you know, you got a whole bunch of women biology face wearers. Biology only exists when they want it to, mommy. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and so I just, this whole female supremacy thing, the reason I bring it up is because that is the undercurrent that is that that is under the surface. So a lot of this might look kind of benign, but you have this push under the surface to elevate women. And and how often do you hear in our society today, like she's a goddess or a queen, a Mm -hmm. queen, and she's your queen. And like, basically you serve her, you know, now there's some where it's like, he's my king and I'm his queen there. That's a little different. There's a lot, it matters like the intention behind things sometimes. I know, but like language matters. And so when we start using language, exactly. And so it's this uh, there is this push and I, I remember seeing it during the women's March and things like that. And when I watch speeches, I see even men will get up and be like, well, you know, God is a woman and she's blah, 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 blah. And then you have people like closing a prayer in uh, Congress being like, amen and a, a woman. <laughs> what are you talking about? I was there when they did that. And oh my gosh, I I couldn't even believe what I was hearing. It was like that's was just that Congress a word. or was that in Virginia? <laughs> that was the House of Representatives in D.C. That's right. They're lucky they speak English. Could you imagine what what will the feminists do in like Mexico? Yeah. <laughs> so so to push the put to push the idea. Uh, so I do think we have become we are in sort of a female centric society at this point where women are given a lot of sort of a leg up over the men, so to speak, no pun intended, um, in, in business, in all these different areas, you know, there's quotas they have to meet for women. And so I really do think we have entered the era of female supremacy and there is an answer to this. There is a backlash coming and it can go one of two ways. And so we're going to explore a couple of, uh, do you want to go ahead and hit this? I, I, I skipped those um, pictures of, but we can go ahead and skip those. We, we can bring them up if you'd like to. It's okay. I was just going to show, I think everybody knows, like you could go to Target, which I don't even shop there anymore, but you can go to all these different places and see like children's place and stuff like that. And it's all about girl boss, girl boss squad, you know, sorry, daddy, you have two bosses now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all of this kind of tons of girl boss stuff. Like it's all girls rule the world, you know, um, girls save the world. I'm a girl. What's your superpower? You know, I can slay my own dragons, you know, that one's actually kind of empowered (laughs) women, empower women. And, and so it's, it's all this pumpkin spice and reproductive rights. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's probably the most in your face one. Yeah. And then the patriarchy isn't going to smash itself. (laughs) Yeah. 
And these are kids' clothes. These are for toddlers. Like we are grooming. Can these kids even say patriarchy? I don't know. But these (laughs) kids are basically being groomed up into this ideology. And it has really reaped some terrible things on the family and on the mindsets of women, on men, and the way we see each other in relationship. And I'm just saying, we as women, I mean, I'm, I am obviously not a feminist. Okay. I, I would, are you sure? I would say I'm probably an (laughs) anti-feminist, but the thing is, is that I I feel like we're spoiling something that is meant to be beautiful. The relationship between women and men is supposed to come together so beautifully where, you know, your weaknesses and his strengths and his weaknesses and your strengths come together to make this beautiful, complete thing, which produces then offspring and in a loving environment will cause them to become your legacy. And you'll be able to have, you know, basically your line go down and, and, and it's like this, this is no longer important. It's all about you. It's, it's me, me, me. It's my career, my money. Now I'm, you know, got to make, get the status, get the money, get the, you know, have the nails, get the nice bag, have the nice shoes, drive the nice car, have the big house. And it's all about that material things. And it's just this horrible, horrible self worship. And we have seen it permeate through society. It has hit, um, I mean, you even look at the childhood obesity numbers and how they skyrocketed when women started going into um, the workforce in high numbers. And it's not that I'm blaming women for childhood obesity, okay? It's not like, oh, get back in the kitchen. You need to cook your kids some food. No, but I am not going to hide from the fact that this did make an impact. There are people- The numbers don't lie, yeah. Yeah, the statistically- Nobody being home to give the kids nourishment has meant fast food and and shortcuts and things like that. And these kids are sedentary. They're not they're not playing outside like they used to. And you've got um, you know, they're just getting carted from like function to function and they're eating on the way fast food or whatever. And childhood obesity has never been higher. And that wasn't the case when someone was home making meals. Well, and so knew this, how to cook. No one knows how to cook anymore. That's and, true. And I feel like some of the issue now too is because it became cute for girls not to know how to cook. And it like became a thing where girls wanted the guy to cook or like it was super attractive that the guy... Now I'm not saying men shouldn't cook. And it is attractive when a man can cook. But... um it has become almost cute that it's like, oh, I'm a bad cook. Like you see it a lot on TV and stuff now too. Right. And, right. Yeah, no and one no one knows how anymore. So <laughs> my argument would be that children benefit from the nurturing only a mother can give. Um and and it's a detriment to kids not to have that. And it it's not better. And it's it's a sad truth and and a lot of women feel this guilt that they can't do that and then they have to shut down that guilt that that you know, and, and guilt is like a pain receptor. You know what? Pain receptors are actually a good thing because what they do is they send a signal that whatever you're doing is hurting you. Pain, pain is a good thing. If you can't feel pain, that's bad. You'll end up hurting yourself and not realizing you hurt yourself. I mean, pain is a messenger. Well, so is guilt. 
Guilt can be a messenger. If you're feeling guilty for how little you're spending with your kids, that's an indication that maybe you need to make some adjustments and make some sacrifices to spend more time with your kids. Now, obviously, you know, guilt comes and goes in many, many forms. And I'm not saying that every single one is something that, but, but definitely use it as an opportunity to examine, mm-hmm. you know? And um, so, okay, let's go ahead and, and continuing on the feminism track and what it has become. Let's go ahead. Whoops. One oh, second. We've got a little bit of a, okay. And so this is just kind of highlighting where like women are starting to wake up to this. You'll just see. Feminism is a scam. A few years ago, I was an angry, blue-haired feminist. I once believed that male privilege was real and that I was a victim of the wage gap. Now that I understand the true motives of feminism, I know that this could not be further from the truth and that modern-day feminism is a war on true masculinity. Before women had the right to vote, most were stay-at-home wives, which meant they weren't working jobs and couldn't be taxed. Our overlords didn't like that. Rockefeller started funding feminist campaigns in media, and as a consequence of the movement, women started entering the workforce and leaving the home. Children would then be separated from their parents and sent to Rockefeller-funded schools to be indoctrinated by the state. All of this ultimately disrupting the family unit at its core. Feminism is defined as the belief in social, economic, and political equality of the sexes. But in the West, I must ask, what rights do men have that women don't? Modern feminists are convincing women that hookup culture, using hormonal birth control, and not shaving is liberation. That toxic masculinity is prevalent and the patriarchy must be dismantled Through movies and media, we're taught that working for the man, climbing the corporate ladder and paying tax is more empowering and valuable than raising the next generation. Women have lost touch with our natural loving instincts and birth rates are plummeting. Men and women are not the same. And by protesting for equality of outcome rather than opportunity, feminists are demonizing and emasculating men. All right. So what do you guys think? Does she have a pretty good hate? She said a few things that are pretty controversial. You oh, know? yeah. Bringing mm-hmm. up the Rockefellers. That was. Oh, yeah. That was contra- I mean, but but if you actually go. F- I mean, this was like over 100 years ago. Right. But like the the Rockefeller family was obviously we think of John D. Rockefeller, the original oil magnate. But obviously he had family. Right. He had multiple kids. And many of which went into politics, right? And and joined both parties, by the way. Like Nelson Rockefeller was a Republican from New York that became vice president. Uh, Jay Rockefeller became a Democrat senator from West Virginia, I believe. Um, so, so the family has a diverse array of political affiliations, right? But there were elements of that family that used their incredible amount of wealth to push very progressive social causes. And... It's, it's similar to how you see today, 100 years later, very wealthy people like Bill Gates, for example, or Zuckerberg, um, that, or George Soros, for that example, that use their extravagant wealth to also push for left-wing social causes. So this isn't really anything new. Mm-hmm. Like A lot of the problems that you see in terms of very left-wing people who are also very wealthy using their money in order to push a particular political ideology through as many mechanisms that they can... That, that, that's been with us for quite a while, actually. Well, do you think she comes off a little bit at like a conspiracy theorist I mean, in that? It, yeah. The music it, helps. It, <laughs> it, it, it's very easy for you to go down a rabbit hole and become a conspiracy theorist on that. And then you get into all sorts of other things. I mean, it, 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 if you really go off the rails, you can start becoming like an anti-Semite about it. But um, it, it, if you take that aside, though, for a second, 
and ignore that aspect of it and then think about everything else that she said. Because this was actually a reaction, for, for the audio listeners, this was actually a reaction video. This was somebody else that was reacting to, I think it was a TikTok. Yeah, and, and I, couldn't, I couldn't find the original TikTok, mm -hmm. which is why we, we didn't that play one. the entire reaction. Right. But um, when, when you think about the other points that are brought up there, there is absolutely some truth to it. And I was trying to hint at this when I was talking about earlier how the worse off a group or individual acts, the more praise the left lavishes upon them. And if you want proof of that, just look at at literal Hamas supporters and how they're being cheered right now by the left within academia. You have like college professors and students and universities that are going out there cheering intifada, right? You know, rooting for mass murderers, like literally rooting for them. And, and so the, again, the worse off a person is, the more praise the left lavishes upon them. And the reason for this is quite simple because people who act terrible in society that are either losers or lunatics typically don't acquire political power and status in a functioning society, right? We, we have a merit, we, we prioritize, especially as Americans, meritocracy, the best ideas rise to the top. The best inventions rise to the top. The, the greatest entrepreneurs should be able to succeed. We, we, we praise success, at least historically, we used to praise success, right? We didn't envy somebody that became wealthy for providing a good or service that people willingly wanted. We rewarded them with our money in exchange for their invention. And we praised them for doing that. Yeah. We used to hold up people that, that built success. We, pri we prioritized meritocracy. And that's not at all the type of society that we now live in. We, we live increasingly in a cacistocracy, a rule by the most corrupt, most inept people in society. And Part of the reason that we're moving in this direction is because there's this will to power on the left and they realize there's a mass of people out there that aren't successful, that aren't you know wealthy, that don't have power and status. And a lot of those people don't have those things because of, of the luck of the draw. But it's also true that a lot of those people don't have things because they chose not to have those things. They either fell down the rabbit hole of de destroying themselves with things like drug addiction, right? Or alcoholism or any other, any other problems, or they have like a mental illness or. They, Which is epidemic at the moment. And this is one, also why you see people encouraging mental illness. Might that's I right. Add. That's true. That's true. But like you watch a lot of these, a lot, we have more mental illness than ever before. And it's not because they've figured out how to diagnose it. Give me a break. Society, I mean, the number of people that used to be deemed as, as mentally ill has skyrocketed. And we have to have some introspection and look at what have we done? What have we pushed as a society? And what have we told people to do, which has caused uh, some kind of a disconnect. What has broken this down? And I would argue it's the breakdown of the family. It's the and and the breakdown of the family really, really is a result of this kind of radical feminism stuff. It's it's I, I blame feminism for a lot of this and the devaluing of human life and that we can just abort it. It's this idea that women can just go thank you next and just have like do whatever they want, kill their child. I mean, think about how it sears your conscience to be able to kill your own baby and feel fine about it. And th this is and, 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 and we think, and we think you can do that and then have kids later on when you're ready and it didn't leave some kind of an imprint on how unimportant your kids are. This is the thing. If people need to like hide the truth 
about reactions and and potential consequences to things like abortion or birth control or whatever, then you should probably really look into whether or not (laughs) these things are really okay. Because there's no way, there is nothing, no matter how good it is, right, that is 100% without risk. Right, right. No surgery, no drug, no medication, nothing. And so this whole idea that abortion just like has no adverse side effects or consequences is ridiculous. Right. And, and the fact get- that it has contributed to infertility later. Yeah. They don't even talk about that. No. And they also don't talk about how birth control itself has contributed to infertility later and what kind of you know, ramifications we have from that. We need to get Lily on the podcast more often because I think this is only her (laughs) second episode, but she, she's got some pretty good takes. And, and, and the reason I bring this up is because Lil, it's Lily. I mean, it's, I I said this earlier, right? Oh, it's people like Lily are the problem. Obviously she's not right. But the reason (laughs) I said that is because it's people like Lily that a lot of this is targeted towards, right? Lily is a 20 something year old currently single, but current, but also engaged young woman. That is the market for everything that you've been discussing in this mm-hmm. podcast today. And you but also, it also up, give you hope, you well, know, it, it gives me hope, but unfortunately for the wrong reasons, mm-hmm. I've, I have no doubt that the radical strain of feminism will fail. And I, I brought this up to you right before we started recording Tina, that, you know, this is all a joke. If you actually think of it, the whole female supremacy thing, the, the, the the weird kinky stuff that belongs in the bedroom that's now actually moving out into society and they're trying to normalize it, it, it may as like not an even ideology. belong in the bedroom like no, it I, 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 what I'm what I'm yeah. bringing up though is that like the weird BDSM stuff. yes yeah. yes like and, and and even outside of that like just the the radical woke ideology that I mean Chris Rufo calls it the longhouse this overly feminizing everything from the HR department to the university to every single company within Silicon Valley and Wall Street to Hollywood to all the quotas, all the, all of the special favors that exist towards women. It's all a joke if you think about it. And I told you right before we started recording that the reason why it's a joke is because look at what happens in societies where men decide, you know what, we're not going to grant these things to women. Guess what? They don't exist. Mm-hmm. And if you want proof of it, go look at Afghanistan. Yeah. There's, there's no rights. There's no rights for women at all in Afghanistan. There's no rights for women effectively at all in Iran or Saudi Arabia. And the reason why is because men decided we're not going to give those rights to women and there's nothing women could do to stop it from happening. And so I think they show some pictures of like, I think it might've been Pakistan, like in the Afghanistan in the seventies when, um, the kingdom of Afghanistan existed, um, right before Dayud Khan staged his uh, his coup against his cousin who was the last king of Afghanistan and even during Dayu Khan for that matter before the uh, sour revolution in the late 1970s when the communists took over the country and then plunged the entire country in a civil war two seconds after they took over and then that's when you get the radical Islamists the Wahhabists basically yeah, so they you take have over. like photos of women like wearing shorts and t-shirts mm-hmm. like walking around in the sun and today they're not even in public not even in public can't drive none of that. Like, like you're not allowed to show a woman's face in public in Afghanistan. And and I bring this stuff, this stuff up because it's proof that all of this feminist stuff, trying to like feminize men, trying to impose this overly feminization of the education, you know, overly feminization of the workforce, the HR department, Silicon Valley, all the institutions that made up the Leviathan that I brought up earlier. 
all of the weird stuff that you're now seeing that might become normalized and mainstream in the future, all of that stuff put together, none of it would exist for five seconds if men decided overnight that they're not going to allow it to happen. Right. And, and you look at societies where men have decided we're not going to grant women any rights and guess what? They don't have them. And that right there is proof of the fact that physically there is just such a huge disconnect between men and women in terms of physical capability that everything that women have from first wave feminism all the way to the modern woke incarnation of it, all of it rests upon men deciding to allow it to happen. So then you have to ask yourself, what happens when men decide we're not going to allow it to happen? And that's where you get to the backlash. This is well, why I said I have, and, and I'll end with this. This is why I said I have no doubt that one day wokeism, especially the feminist strain of wokeism, will be defeated. But I'm not necessarily optimistic about what will be defeating it. Right. And you can look at like a microcosm of this. Um, anytime men get emasculated by the mother figure, it re- it results in some really scary stuff. Look at serial killers. Serial killers almost universally have a mother who emasculated them. Women have, so women thinking that they are making men soft and pliable and easy to manipulate actually can create some major monsters. And when he's no longer wanting to to be under your thumb anymore, that's that's how you end up with these serial killers who end up like the first person they kill is their mom, you know, or they kill the people that look like their mom or, or their the people that their mom it. loves. Yes. Yeah, it, it's like their mommy issues are a real thing. And like I've said that before and had women be like, I can't believe you're blaming moms for uh, serial killers. And I'm like, well. It is the mom. That well, did and it. serial killers don't just like magically appear from nowhere. Like it's not like, like these moms <laughs> made minor mistakes and created a serial killer. That's not what right, I'm talking I, about. I, I'm talking about these horrible, manipulated, em, manipulating, emasculating women, like that will emasculate men. Gary Ridgway, the Green River Killer, one of the most infamous serial killers in American history, had mommy issues. Oh yeah. He, he was emasculated by his mother. He did not have, have a great relationship with his mother. He's still alive. He's in prison, obviously. Um, he's, he said before that like he would, as a kid or a teenager, like fantasize about killing his mother. And yeah. eventually that manifested itself into killing women that looked like his mother. And, well, and the he co-ed, killed like The co-ed people. killer did the same kind of crazy thing. Like the, 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 um, it started with, he like, I'm not going to go into all of what And that's did. real toxic but, masculinity right there. Being a serial killer. Yeah. Like you want to talk about talk. And th- this is why I say, not that I think Gary Ridgeways are going to be the ones that are going to take over. Right. But what I mean is when I said there's going to be a backlash and feminism, especially the woke brand of feminism is going to be defeated, but I'm not really sure yeah. what's going to be replacing it. The thing that worries me, and I brought this up in the original right wing backlash video and in other subsequent videos where we've talked about this topic or at least related to it. The thing that worries me is is the anti-feminists are increasingly getting to a point where they're just concluding, you know what? We made a mistake starting with Susan B. Anthony. We did not make a mistake starting with the blue-haired, woke barista studying right. queer theory. And there is that that push. And so before we go into that, because that is actually the next, next place we're going, um, Isaac Gorski says... Um, people who say she's just a mom deserve to be treated with absolute disdain. They just insult, they just insulted your mom. I, I mean, I agree with that, Oh yeah. but honestly, women, women say it. 
Women say it all the time. They do. Well, and not only that, it's like you say it's just a mom. Being a mom's not that difficult. Well, then why do babysitters and daycares exist? <laughs> like, I mean, right. clearly there's some work to be done with that. If yeah. there's whole industries built up on helping mothers raise their children or just like assisting with that. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, well, there is sort of this superiority complex where it's like, um, I did it all. Like I did it all. And look, you know, mm -hmm. but um, so the next thing I want to go into is sort of talking about what Christian just brought up, the idea that there is an anti-feminist movement starting and um, Pearl Davis from Just Pearly Things. Um, she's sort of one of them, but there's a lot actually. And there is sort of this, this idea in society, even among some women that think giving women the vote was a bad idea. And I wouldn't go that far, but I do know people who would. And so let's go ahead and just hear what they have to say, because all of this feminism stuff is creating a backlash. And, and in some situations, it's kind of comical and funny. In other situations, it's a little scary. So let's, let's listen to what Pearl has to say and why, why she says this. None of us in here are, can be considered traditional women. And back then, an average guy could get a traditional woman. And now what does he get? He gets a boss, a boss babe, a girl that's been ran through. He gets an ex-hoe. He gets a born-again virgin. Like, what do this I is, get? As, as women, yeah. this is what, what do we get? We still get protection and provisioning. Are you sure? And, I, and the, yeah. the average, yeah. the average that salary. That they looking for. The average, uh, not, I mean, okay, okay, but here's, here's the thing. The average salary could cover an apartment. And, but the thing is like women, we want this lifestyle that's not even realistic nowadays. Like we want men that make more than we do and we want them to pay all of the bills. But it's like, we work what, we all have our nails done. We have, uh, we get our hair dyed, we have makeup. We have all of this stuff that costs money because we want this lifestyle. And I've had girls come on my show and I say, would you, would you date an average guy for companionship, but you would have to go down in lifestyle. And they say, no, we're addicted to lifestyle. Yeah. Okay. So that, that gives you some perspective on Pearl's opinions, but let's move to her next one. Women should not no, but Pearly but said I'll it herself. You, you, oh, you got to back why, it up. All right. One second. Sorry guys. Um, I don't, think women should not. Huh? I don't think women should vote. Lord Jesus, keep on going. <laughs> she yeah, said, I don't think women, women should you vote. You can't vote. No birth control. Yeah. Keep it going. Yeah, I know, because it's always freedom without responsibility. And I so, love like, it. the women reason. Women should not vote. No, but, Pearly but said it you, herself. I'll tell you why, though. I'll tell you why. Because there's freedom without responsibility. I believe in consequences for your decision. So, the men know if they vote someone batshit crazy into power, you guys get drafted. We don't. Say I don't think women should know. Huh? Okay, so go to the next one too, because she th she has gone on many 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 shows and said this. She's even got merch to this effect. And oh, by the way, guys, uh, I believe she's interviewing Nick pretty soon. Later this month. Yeah. Okay. So uh, let's see. One second. Okay. Getting Sometimes the volume's a little low on these, but hopefully people it, can hear. It varies it. a lot depending yeah. on the video. 
They're also hard to get started at the very beginning. Yeah. In the 90s, women couldn't even vote. This is in the 90s. In the 90s. So yeah, it was like 1980. No, no, that's not true. Women got the right to vote. 20s. 20s. No, no, it was 1918. You said 19. 18. Oh, 18. I think so. In the 1900s. Okay, but why? Women couldn't even vote. So remember, but why? Why didn't women have the right to vote? Women. So historically, men had to go to war and fight. That is why women couldn't vote was because we if you had the choice today in 2022 and we were in war and you had to go fight on the front lines mm. would you pick it I personally and this is where people will take me out of context and say I don't think women should vote personally if I in 2022 had the choice where I had to go fight in the front lines just like the men in a war or I could give up my right to vote I would give up my right to vote mm. and that's what happened back then is they equated voting with going to war because yeah, I, think, like, in the okay so what do you guys think of this that, that was, oh, whoops. I think I'm, there we go. Okay, there we go. Hamilton imbued me. Um, uh, probably smart move. Um, that was how government Sorry. worked for 3,000 years of human history. Because people forget that for the vast majority of human history, the vast majority of men could not vote. Voting was not a thing for millennia. Vo but, but but when we say voting, we mean like sharing in the participation of political power, right? Mm -hmm. or, or partaking in the political process in some way. Yeah. Right? With, with But few exceptions, like classical Athens, you could argue maybe in some weird ways the, the Venetian Republic or the Dutch Republic in the uh, early modern period. But, but those are exceptions to the rule. Historically, the vast majority of governments were monarchies. Yeah. And the vast majority of monarchies were absolute monarchies. The only way that you shared in the participation of political power is if you were a member of the nobility. And the nobility were the nobility because they went out and fought. So, for example, uh, an era in history that I do a lot of studying in because I used to do a podcast on it, and at some point I'll do one again, is the wars of Alexander the Great and then eventually his death and then the wars of his successors. When you look at ancient Macedon, the political structure was Alexander was the king, but he was he was actually first among equals. In many respects, he shared power with his with his nobles, the 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 kids that he grew up with. They were all they were all members of of the warrior class. Many of them had been kings in their own right before their their kingdoms had merged with Macedon. And so, like his his comrades, like you know Perdiccas or Ptolemy or Seleucus, people that you learn about when you're studying in this era of history, all of them were able to participate in political power because they put their lives on the line. Mm -hmm. They all marched out there and fought the Persians at Gagamela. The average Greek, the average Macedonian working in the fields didn't partake in political power because they didn't risk their life dying in battle against the Persians. If you wanted to share in political power, you had to risk death on the battlefield. That was the way that politics worked. And then eventually over time, you got to a point where kings couldn't rely on just their friends that they grew up with to go fight a battle. They needed larger armies. And the and, and one of the ways that you would grant citizenship partaking in political power was expanding the military mm -hmm. and then expanding the franchise as a result. So when you get to like the Roman Empire, one of the things that Roman emperors would do is in exchange for your military service, you'd be given Roman citizenship. This is this became a huge political issue during the Roman Republic. And then when you fast forward to like the Middle Ages and then eventually the early modern period, 
what do you see? You see the expansion of quote unquote voting rights. Again, voting is still not necessarily a thing. It's it's you just partake in political power. There's not right. really elections, but but your ability to like sit on the council and decide legislation or decide how your how your kingdom or how your realm would govern was predicated on you providing military service to the king. This is where you get feudalism, right? The emergence of the different the, the, the different estates. You have the warrior class, the nobility, you have the priesthood, and then you have everybody else. But the everybody else weren't asked, they weren't drafted and sent into the field. You only see that when democracy becomes a thing. That and at that looks, point- It looks as though uh, in the name of equality, the draft is gonna apply to women too. Mm-hmm. Well, and- well, we're moving in that direction, which is actually a sad thing because what we should be moving into is, is a direction where we, we have now, for the first time in thousands of years, detached political power with paying a price for being wrong. So it used to be, yeah, you could have political power, but guess what? If you made the wrong decision, you could pay for it with your life potentially, if not your livelihood. And now we've gotten to a point where we've expanded the franchise to people who can vote to to impose an ideology or a policy on all of society and they don't pay any price for that ideology or policy completely backfiring and destroying society in fact they will benefit from it because of everything that i brought up earlier about how the left lavishes praise upon the worst elements of society we've completely detached consequences from from actions and simply placed voting at the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs in the process. Voting is not an act of self-actualization. Right. And, and, and yet the, the voting, left- honestly, voting is just the bare minimum. And, and well, and I also feel like we shouldn't forget the fact that the government back then was not nearly as involved in our personal lives as it is now. And this is the reason why I micromanaging has gotten crazy. This is why I tend to actually disagree with what Pearl said or what you said, Christian. Um, It's like, I see where you guys are coming from and I don't 100% disagree, but the government is a lot more involved in our personal lives now. And so I don't personally feel as though you have to be, in war in order for bad political decisions to affect, affect you. you. Yeah. So for instance, now if you were to tell me like, I feel like you should own a business or you should um, be paying your taxes, like you shouldn't be on this program or that. If you were to tell me that, like, okay, I would agree with that. Um, but with how the government is set up now, it's just so involved with the personal lives that, I mean, that business owner down the street feels the effects of yeah, the government's decisions. And so that's why like, I tend to have a slightly different viewpoint on that, although I do um, agree with the argument. Yeah, well, there's sense. a reason why things are going this direction and it's because this is, this is sort of the beginnings of this backlash. Finally, we're starting to see people and, you know, a lot of men started kind of speaking out like Andrew Tate and people like that. And they're kind of like male apologists, sort of. And Pearl Pearl actually has been labeled the female Andrew Tate um, <laughs> because she's sort of a male apologist as well. But some of it is she goes around and tries to educate women on what men are actually thinking because women get it so wrong all mm-hmm. uh, so often. But um, you know, she's not the only one to kind of go this route, but there is an answer coming and it's, it's, it's not necessarily this extreme thing where we're going to take away votes from women. That's, you know, come on. Um, but, but 
there is this other alternative coming and women are are leaving feminism behind and going this this sold us a raw bill of goods this was not good for us it hurt our families it hurt our our love lives and everything else and and what it is is they they keep feeding these lies to these women and telling them that they should feel fulfilled because of all these things they've done and then they wonder why they have mental illness because they don't feel fulfilled and it's like well because you're you are basically um buying into this idea that what you what your body can naturally do and 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 the things you're naturally good at uh, don't mean anything. And the only thing that means something is whether or not you can climb the corporate ladder. And and that's it. And and by the end of it, you end up having like this horrible, lonely life, especially if you don't end up with any kids, you don't end up with a spouse, nothing. Um, you end up being the weird, crazy aunt that comes o- over for, you know, Thanksgiving dinner or whatever and makes everybody uncomfortable. Um, you know, you're the lady with all the cats. I mean, I don't know. Allie might be watching this. (laughs) So we're going to move on to Candace Owens. Um, she's one of the voices that, that is coming to the forefront. We've got a lot of voices coming to the forefront. Let's go ahead and listen to what she has to say. Telling me that I can, um, put my butt cheeks on the internet for free and that's going to stick it to the man. Free the nipple is an Instagram campaign. Oh yeah, he's going to be really upset, ladies, when you're naked on the internet. You're telling me that women are being taught to have multiple partners as some act of sexual freedom. Oh yeah, ladies, it's really going to suck when you tell men, I don't want a relationship, but I'll sleep with you for nothing because modern feminism says that that's good. It sucks. Oh, now I get to work just like a man, hours, day in and day out. Dude, we were just cooking. I love cooking. (laughs) Who fought for feminism, modern feminism? People keep thinking that these are things that women liked. And when you actually look at happiness, women are not happy anymore because we're being told that we still have to be a woman, but also be like a man. It shouldn't be like that. You're telling me that I can... Yeah. So this is sort of permeating through what's the next clip we have. Um, okay. So this is, this is sort of my, my final clip that I wanted to um, put out there. And the reason I want to put this out there is because, um, you know, a lot of this sounds just all bad, you know, and, and, and that all oh, these women are so brainwashed. But the thing is, is that women are waking up to the idea that there is more to their existence than just climbing some corporate ladder and that they can actually have think about what it is they really want to be doing and what really is going to give them the fulfillment. Um, and, and how do we get there? How do we go forward there? And, um, now you've got extremes, you've got like this trad wife movement where it's like, women that think that their whole entire existence is to serve their husbands and, and their families. And, and they say things that are just like wildly unpopular, but some of it is that they're trying to be countercultural. They're trying to put something out there that is completely different than what everyone's being told right now. Gets people to ask, why do you exactly? Yeah. And, and you do have, it's this whole like cottage core aesthetic, you know, a trad wife. Cottage core. It is. That is what it's um, called. Yeah. And, and so it, some of it could be a little bit of a trend. Um, but really I, when I look at things like people, even men too, are going back to sort of the more rustic version of what people are to kind of try to find themselves again. It's bronze like, age mindset from, from the, the, 
crazy dude on Twitter. He's well, not no, like crazy, people but. are learning to garden again. People are learning to bake again. People mm-hmm. are learning how to mill their own grain, how to can, how to how to preserve food, how to take care of their families and the people around them. Um, in the case, in in just in case something bad were to happen, but really resiliency is at the core of this. And in, in women, there is this resiliency we need to be striving for. And we're, we're going to find that by leaning into what our actual interests are. And it's really hard because like we've been wired from the very beginning, like my whole generation was told that you have to have uh, success and success equals money and, and power. And you've got it like men and women. And I was even told as a, as a kid, like, you've got to have a backup plan. That whole thing where it was talking about a backup plan, like, well, you know, you need to have a career just in case your husband leaves you or, or he dies or something like that. You, you need to have a backup plan. And, and women are constantly told this, you can't depend on a man to take care of you. He may just leave you. Well, the numbers don't bear that out. 70% of the time, it's women who file for the divorce. And if they're college educated, it's 90%. So can I just say, if you're worried about your husband cheating on you or leaving you, I mean, of course, this doesn't apply to every case. But in most of these cases that I've personally seen, we saw the red flags before you got married. A lot of times. Like, like, I feel like women have a tendency to think that men are just as like conniving as women are. And it's really not the case like (laughs) well there's there there are always red flags and everybody's just afraid to bring them up exactly well they don't want to believe them and then when they get married and their husband cheats on them that's when they're like oh my gosh I didn't see this coming and I'm sitting here like well I saw it coming exactly (laughs) yeah sorry I mean that's not always the case and obviously Mm -hmm. there are there are always exceptions who was it that said there's always survivors on a sinking of a sinking ship right Mm -hmm. you you always have people that went through the trauma that come out okay but the trauma is bad you Mm -hmm. know we need to try to avoid this trauma and and some of this is this whole hookup culture thing this idea that we don't need to preserve ourselves for our family or our spouse or anything like that it's such a lie and it's it's this idea that that um you need to go out and just sow your wild oats and experience all of these things first so that then you can settle down and then you settle and and that's not the way it's supposed to feel I know I don't feel like I settled. I feel like I freaking won the spouse lotto. Well, um, and I don't feel, I don't like the whole example of, well, you try on shoes before you buy them. And test, like, drive, you test cars. drive the car. I hate that because. What if you're not well, sexually compatible? And this is, this is what I say. If you've never driven any other car, then you're not comparing it to any other car. And that is the best. <laughs> like, I'm just saying, like, if you've never experienced anything else, like. Well, and some of this too is when people bring that up, it's like, well, if somebody had, like, cause I had an aunt one time that was like, well, what if he likes to do weird kinky stuff? Like, and you're just going to wait and, and y- you know, w- you need to know if he likes to do those weird things. And it's like, really, you're just going to let him test all this out on you? Like, some of this is what type of people are you going for? Because if yeah. somebody's super into some weird kinky stuff, that means they probably have a porn addiction. So well, let's talk about that. Well, let's talk about it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, I digress. That is way off topic. But I, I want to leave us with a sense of hope at this point. 
um, because I see the tide turning. And I don't know if you can see it too, but I definitely do. I think that, you know, feminism has sold us a bad bill of goods. Tell men. And we are, we are now seeing women, young women, like millennials and zennials stepping up. And like the boomer generation of women helped us get here. So did the, so did the Gen X, like we all bear responsibility, right? In our generation. Now I personally don't feel that I bear responsibility for this because I've always been against it, but the <clears throat> generationally you have uh, different ones that grew up through this process and have perpetuated it. And I feel like there is a cycle breaking, getting ready to happen. I feel like we're doomed. Okay, I feel like we're gonna break the cycle. <laughs> you always feel like we're doomed. And so I want I want to highlight this. She's, um, you need to, yeah. So um, she's going to talk about an article that was writ written and we can put the link to the article that she's reading from because we're not gonna hear the whole thing. It's too long, um, but we'll put that in there um, under the description, I think. Yep. Okay, and um, so let's just hear what she has to say because I want you to, I want you to, Leave feeling hopeful. Don't listen to Christian. Leave feeling hopeful. Have we girl boss too close to the sun? There's a sickening, and I say that in a good way, new article in the Washington Examiner by Carrie Gress called, Is it the beginning of the end of the girl boss era? Spoiler alert, 100% yes, a million times yes. But this article is fascinating because the author credits conservative women with basically challenging the feminist ideology that has been ingrained in women for the last 50 years in a more effective and convincing way than we've ever done before. There is a mass exodus of women leaving the feminist movement and having the veil lifted from their eyes in terms of what we've been told will make women happy. Carrie writes, conservative women are challenging the regnant feminist narrative. For roughly five decades, feminism has enjoyed an unchallenged hedge money, which both indoctrinated women and gave birth to its child woke ideology. Women such as Barbara Walters, Gloria Steinem, Katie Couric, and Rachel Maddow have had a lock on American women's messaging featuring consistent and now threadbare stories such as unequal pay for equal work, reproductive health, and the toxicity of masculinity. Let me just pop in to say real quick, all of those points that have been parroted by all those women and which have really driven the feminist movement have all been debunked now as lies. The wage gap is absolute BS. The minuscule earnings gap, and I'm talking like one cent between men and women, is just due to women making choices like raising a family, not wanting to work longer hours, or more physically demanding jobs. More women are graduating college, we're getting hired at higher rates than men, and we're making more money. Women earn 99 cents for every 100 cents men earn, AKA this wage gap doesn't exist. The feminist movement told women that we needed abortion to be happier and healthier. In reality, abortion is a tool of exploitation of women. Everyone can see 4D ultrasounds of babies now. There is no denying this science and biology of what women are pregnant with, a human being. And when a woman snuffs out that life, she is wrecked with immense guilt and crippling shame, higher depression, suicide rates, and anxiety. Britney Spears is a great example of this. She just revealed in her new memoir, The Woman and Me, that Justin Timberlake talked her into aborting their child in the early 2000s because he didn't want to be a father yet. She wrote, he said we weren't ready to have a baby in our lives, that we were way too young. If it had been left up to me alone, I never would have done it. To this day, it's one of the most agonizing things I have ever experienced in my life. 
Then there's the feminist narrative that masculinity is toxic. Well, let's just call a spade a spade. That was just a term created by toxic females. True masculinity is never toxic. It's protective, it's strong, kind, and selfless. We actually need more masculinity, not less. It's just a made up term. For decades, she writes, conservative activist Phyllis Schlafly was the voice in the wilderness taking on the cultural bullies. Her niece, Suzanne Venker, has carried on her aunt's legacy as America's countercultural coach with a podcast offering advice for women who want to figure out why they are unhappy in their marriages, careers, and even as mothers. Suzanne Venker was my guest in July of this year on The Spillover, who first talked about the downsides of daycare, one of my most popular episodes of The Spillover ever. She is incredible. Let's Carrie go says, ahead and Suzanne stop it there. Okay, so... This video, I highly suggest it's the real Alex Clark on YouTube. Um, and it, the title of it is, have we girl bossed too close to the sun? I love that um, title. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's a, it's a 15 minute long video. I'm not going to make you guys all watch it, but I highly suggest if you're looking for some encouragement, go watch it. It's, it's great. And then also, um, read the article. Now there is no shortage of videos and and books being written that are along these lines that are that are this idea of women waking up to this and so in closing here's what i basically it does anybody else have anything they want to say before we close no i mean i i think that that alex is is correct here in terms of it's gone too far and it's leading to a backlash but when you look at the elements of, of the right that are pushing back on this, so so people like Pearl Davis, for example, the response, like I said earlier, is not the problem lies with the blue care woke is studying queer theory at Berkeley. No, the, they're coming to the conclusion, and I, I don't think it's entirely unwarranted, even if, even if I, I might be a little bit more hesitant than Pearl to endorse this, but they're coming to the conclusion that, no, the problem starts with Susan B. Anthony. And... Remember what I brought up at the very beginning of this show that like if you break people down by sex, sorry, there's only two genders, right? But if you break people down by sex and marital status into four categories, only one of those four votes for the left routinely. It's not the problem is not. And this is this is something that I, I've I've taken great. Frustr I, I, I have I have a significant amount of frustration towards certain elements of the conservative right that just continuously just beat up on men over and over and over again. Like you, it's just, it's always, it's always the man's problem, right? Women apparently are just have no agency, no responsibility and no accountability, even on the right. Mm -hmm. And, but like, I'm sorry, when you look at the breakdown by marital status and sex, the problem is not, uh, it's not married men. It's not married women. It's not even unmarried men. It's single women. That's where the problem is politically in terms of voting. They're the ones that are voting for, for, for the clown world that we live in. When, when we think of all the ridiculous policies that exist out there, everything that has made San Francisco what San Francisco is, everything that has made Chicago what Chicago is, everything that has made New York City what New York City is, everything that is destroying blue state America, it's all because of the fault. Yes, there are obviously people on the left that are single men. It's obviously there's people on the left that are, that are married women, and obviously there's people on the left that are married men. But the majority of those groups of people hold conservative viewpoints. The problem is with 20-something and 30-something-year-old and obviously teenage single women that are voting for leftism. Do you think that it's because women are more prone to indoctrination? 
No, I think it's because, as I said, because it, because the reason I say that is because I can point in the education system, I can point to academia, I can point to the media and everything else that all of this is per permeating through that system. And so why does it seem like men are more impervious to it than women are? So two reasons. And then when I, when I say my stuff, I actually want Lily's take on this, to be honest, because I think that she could have some interesting insight as somebody who actually is, you know, a 20 something year old, currently single woman. But there's two reasons. Somebody once said, and I can't remember who, maybe somebody in chat will remind me. Somebody once said the reason that there is no female Albert Einstein or Mozart is the same reason that there is no female Jack the Ripper. And the reason for that is because men have a propensity for both greatness and madness, right? The overwhelming majority of brilliant inventors and, and businessmen, right? The most successful people in society have historically been men, but also the greatest losers in society, the most insane people in society, the most destructive people in society have also been men, right? For, for every Nikola Tesla, there's an Adolf Hitler mm -hmm. out there. And there's no female equivalent to either of those. And the reason why is because nature takes far less chances on women than men because eggs are very valuable and sperm is very cheap. Nature cannot afford to gamble with the IQs of women to create either greatness or madness because they're both two sides of the same coin. So when you look at the bell curve of distribution for IQs, what you see is the overwhelming majority of extremely intelligent and also extremely stupid people in the world are men. And therefore, a lot more women are in the middle of the bell curve than men, proportionately speaking. Now, why do I bring this up? Because ultimately, it's not that women are more predisposed to like propaganda. It's that when you look at, at all the different groups out there, and this is all built around groups, right? Women, by nature, in many respects of biology itself, happen to be happen to belong to a group that is easy for the left to monopolize power through. Right. So, so we've, we've done, Nick and I have done, and you as well, I think have done whole podcasts where we've talked about people like Antonio Gramsci, Gramsci writing in Italy in the 1930s when he was in prison by Mussolini. Gramsci was a communist. He was writing about why did he lose and somebody like Lenin won in Russia. And the reason that he concluded was in the West leftists cannot apply class warfare in order to obtain political power. And the reason why is because standards of living are improving. And just because you might be born into lower classes does not mean that you might not die in the upper class. Class is malleable. You could be born impoverished and die a billionaire. That's actually possible in a capitalist society. So meritocracy's improving standard of living and, and the malleability of class meant that you can't resort to class warfare in order to obtain political power. So Gramsci said, Basically, in his prison notebooks, he wrote that the way that the left, the way that Marxists, neo-Marxists will be able to achieve power is by challenging the cultural hege uh, hegemony. And two of the pillars of that are Christianity and the family. And so this is why he said things like socialism must be the religion that destroys Christianity. This is also why all of his adherents, all of his successors are extremely anti-family because they recognize that you have to tear those two things down in order to obtain a new cultural hegemony. And how do you obtain a new cultural hegemony? You don't stage a revolution like Russia in 1917. You don't violently you know, seize the means of production. What you do is you, you capture all the institutions that I listed earlier that are part of the Leviathan. You capture the universities. You capture academia. You capture the entertainment. You capture corporate America. You capture Silicon Valley. And then once you've captured those institutions, 
then you obtain political power. And how do you obtain political power? You don't resort to class, you resort to identity. And you resort to identities that historically would not have political power, mm-hmm. right? So this includes women. And, and why do women historically not have political power? For the same reason that I said earlier, that political power historically was vested in your ability to fight. And women generally don't make great soldiers. That's not a ding on them as individuals. That's not to say that they're that, that they don't have any value or self-worth. They have incredible self-worth. Women are or women civilize men. But because they didn't they were not predisposed towards physical violence and because the ability to partake in political power was predicated on your ability to fight, historically women did not share in political power. So the left is able to leverage that fact and monopolize their loyalty just like they've been able to monopolize the loyalty of all sorts of groups of people based on the fact that they historically don't have power or status. Again, either through no fault of their own or through terrible choices. So obviously women historically don't have power through no fault of their own just because of biology. But then there's other groups of people like drug addicts, for example. The left absolutely monopolizes the votes of, for example, drug addicts on the streets of San Francisco. And those people have nobody to look to other than themselves for the reason that they're in the situation that they're in. So the left will look at any grievance, real or imagined, and they especially loved imagined grievances, right? They love to create victims as much as they do to champion real ones. Because guess what? You can solve a problem, an actual problem of victimhood, but you can't solve a fake problem. This is why the left wants to make more people become trans. This is why they're pushing trans ideology, because they automatically fall into that oppressor category, and then the left can monopolize their political loyalty. So aside from this being political, so I understand that, you know, Feminism has had a huge political impact. But the more concerning impact that I see is the impact it has had on the family and on the mental health of women themselves. This has hurt women so much. And for everything that you can point to where we've made strides in this area, or we made, this is a good thing or that's a good thing. For everything you can point to there, I can point to something that's pretty catastrophic that has also been a result. And so one of the things that I kind of want to point out is, you know, it's, I don't want to just look at this from the 10,000 foot level and go, here's what's happened in, in politics because of this. Really, I want to bring all the way back down to the family and how much this has destroyed the relationship between men and women. And it has turned us against each other. And we're supposed to complement each other. Like men and women are made for each other. Truly made for each other. And yet they're adversaries in so many areas. Like women and men are pit against each other. You've, you've got the, the answer to the man-hating feminist is now the woman-hating male apologist. And, and at some point, like where is the balance here? And, and how do we get back to... A healthy, like we need to get back to nurturing a healthy relationship with our own family, the men and women within our own families, and then the male-female relationships within between us and our children and their children and our grandchildren. And it's it's this idea of breaking the cycle. And and so I don't want to just look at, oh, maybe society's gonna break the cycle. I want to look at what can we as women do right now to break this cycle. 
And I mean, I've really been giving some thought because, you know, it's interesting because there's this idea that like, oh, men like a feisty woman that'll fight back and like they, they could spar with or whatever. And some of that is true. I mean, being able to intellectually go toe to toe with one another is, um, is, is great because be playful with one yeah, another. Yeah. And, and not only that, but like, um, when a, when a man doesn't respect his, his wife's intellect, uh, that's a sad thing. And when a woman doesn't respect her husband's intellect, that's a sad thing. It's like, they should be a well met, they should be well matched in this area and be able to carry on a conversation beyond just like celebrity freaking gossip. Mm-hmm. I, I'll never forget. I had a friend when we were a military family and this gal, she knew everything that was going on with like Britney Spears and whatever. And Whoever all these people were, she was so into like the ET celebrity gossip crap. And I was really into politics. So I would always kind of talk about, oh, hey, you know, this vote's coming up. How are you going to vote on this or that? And she's like, Tina, why do you even care about that stuff? Like, it's not like you can do anything about it. And I looked at her and I'm like, why do you care about this stuff? Like, you literally don't have a hand in this, Mm -hmm. but at least you can go vote the correct way. And it was really interesting. Or tell your friends about it. Right. Like. <laughs> and it was really interesting because it later came to light that like he, the husband in that scenario, in that situation felt like he could not have an intelligent conversation with his wife. Their marriage ended with him like having extramarital affairs all over the place because, and, and they were intellectually motivated affairs. It's like, I want to look at this and go, guys, okay. We need to bear a little bit of responsibility. We, we have to try to make ourselves smarter. We have to do things that improve ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so there's, all, there's this weird thing permeating in society right now where women feel like you should just take me as I am because this is just how I am. And, you know, if you don't like it, you can leave. And I only hear toxic women say stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Women that are super high maintenance, women that are unnecessarily adversarial all the time, very contrary um, all the time. They're never happy. They're mad. because they don't want to put in the work to fix any of that stuff. Like this is, (laughs) this is the whole thing. Like to the question you had asked Christian earlier of like, why does it seem as though women are the ones falling prey to all of this? And it's because... Um, women tend, and I know women hate hearing this, but we are more emotional people. Um, we are more empathetic people because of that. And that's what the left has preyed on. And not only that, they have preyed on, they have preyed on that to make us feel like victims. Okay. So they do that first. And then they say like, oh, but female empowerment. So then you feel like you're benefiting from all the stuff they're doing. Right. And so that's why, so then you end up with a situation where women, yeah, they fall more victim to agreeing with this stuff because they're, they think they're benefiting from it. And then men don't because they're the ones being attacked by it <laughs> and, yeah. and the whole deal. But like this hookup culture too. Yes. Um, I have seen so many interviews um, like the whatever podcast and things like that. They'll bring, and same with Pearl, Pearl Davis does it too. They'll bring in all these club girls or like straight out of the club and they'll interview them. And I'm looking at these people going, I'm so embarrassed. I'm so embarrassed for my gender 
You know, these, these women, it's like they've got nothing going on upstairs. There's all they're thinking about is whatever next material thing they can get and whatever attention they can get from a guy. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, um, you can tell there's something it's embarrassing. wrong because there is just so much hypocrisy in the feminist movement because the same people I would hear regurgitating all this feminist bull crud are the same people who are just totally being walked all over in their relationships. They, they refuse to see red flags. They, so it's like, it's just the math ain't mathin. <laughs> like yeah. you're saying all this stuff, but it's not like you're living it. And if you are living it, it's clearly not benefiting you, but you don't want to believe that because this is comfortable. Yeah. Well, people have a natural. It's comfortable to believe that it's not your fault. And You're pe- not the problem. 100%. People have a natural tendency to want to collect for themselves opinions and ideas that confirm their own bias that already exists. And, you know, women are always looking, women and men, they're always looking for whatever reason why this relationship failed and it was the other person's fault. But you have to look at yourself and go, what did I do to contribute to the downfall of this? Mm-hmm. Because we don't have personal growth without looking at that, you know? Um, it's the same reason why football players will watch all the replays and and watch what they did wrong in order to be able to correct mm-hmm. it in future games. You know, um, I, I used to sing at church um, really, really often. I would sometimes go back and listen to see where I flubbed up so that I could correct it and fix it in the future. You have to look at your flaws. You have to come face to face with them Mm -hmm. and you have to be willing to try to correct them. Yeah. You have to, you have to be what you're looking for. Like I live by treat others the way you want to be treated. If you want people to treat you a certain way or you want to find a certain person, you need to be that person. Right. Like you can't just, you can't post half naked pictures of yourself all over social media and then tell me the next day that, oh, but I want a good Christian man. Sorry to break it to you, sweetheart. A good Christian man is not going to be attracted to that. I mean, in fact, if a man messages you under your half naked picture with your butt sticking out saying that they're a Christian man, that's a red flag. Yeah. Total (laughs) red flag all over the place. Yes. Yeah. I mean, a guy might be attracted to it but he's gonna say no to it of course he's he's gonna be attracted to it right but it's a matter of what does that say about a man's relationship with christ if that's the kind of woman he's looking for okay i have a very i have a question (laughs) yeah very dramatic question if a guy did want to ask that type of girl out on a date and she did have those type of photos on her instagram is it wrong for the guy to ask her to take them down if no. he's, gonna, if he's gonna go ahead and date her, I think he has he can ask her to take him down. The problem though is that he knew what he was getting into when yes. he yeah. So if this girl has a tendency to do this already, and um and and he's like, well, I'm just gonna swoop in and ask her to to you know not show her butt cheeks on the thing. It's like, what do you think you were getting, man? Yeah. What did you think you were getting? Now, if there's other if there's other things contributing factors that make you think okay well maybe this is just something to where she's just misguided in this area because I know there are some women who um recently came to Christ or they recently switch over and there's just some things that kind of um are delayed things that are fixed so if you have reason to believe that it might be that situation that's definitely something where before you make it official you do ask like hey like I don't think this is okay here's the bible verses that back that up like how would you feel about 
that being fit, what do you think about that? I right. feel like that's reasonable. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to answer a couple of these super chats. We've got um, the Professor Keen. Uh, the Dune quote works uh, best for this. Your position exists because we allow it. It will be removed when we demand it. That is definitely true. Like men, I hate to say it, ladies, men, we can be overpowered. And I don't care how good you are with a firearm. You know, there's always going to be a guy better than you with a firearm. So, like, don't think that's going to save you. I mean, try your best. But I, I'm saying, like, if men decided to be hordes of marauders just going and just, like, raping and pillaging like they used to, right? And you have to look at it as a then, whole. A lot of people get caught up and it's like, well, that's not every situation. Well, yeah, there's it, always exceptions. But it's right, like, but, as a whole. But if we went back to, like, is. a post-apocalyptic situation where men were just going to do and take what they want, we're screwed. We are screwed as women. And I think we should recognize that we need to like not create men that do this. And one of the ways we create these men is by emasculating them. We have got yeah. to let men be men. Um, so here's the other thing. Uh, dog face pony soldier. I love the handle. Um, <laughs> shout out to the freightest ladies. You should carry a carry out a coup more often. Great show as always. And then Oki with a mission says, I stopped watching Pearl due to her comment saying 16 year old girls were more attracted than 20 year olds. After that, I couldn't take uh, what she said seriously, very off putting like Tate and others. I, I, I agree like certain things that are said like that are, are a bit um, inflammatory. I do think she does some of these things for the reaction. Well, and I do, I do get the feeling that there was probably a lot more context to her saying that than there's, he was yeah. talking about she was talking about women going from being like a 10 down to like an eight uh, because they're aging out. Mm -hmm. And and I've, I've seen women um, do this thing where they're like, I can't believe Pearl is talking about this girl not being a 10 anymore and moving down to becoming like a nine because she turned 30. But look at Pearl. She's not pretty or whatever. And here's the thing. Pearl never claimed to be a 10. Mm -hmm. Pearl puts herself at about a six, I think, is what she said. Well, and if she's speaking to what, like, young men think or something yeah. like that, I can, I mean, you see. She's literally just talking about what, what she has been told by men because she has interviewed thousands of men. Yes. That's why so. I said, like, I feel like there's probably more context to that yeah. statement. That yeah. seems like a weird statement. So we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. And I just, I just want to leave you all with hope that, look, we can start at home and start by making little changes in ourselves to be better, to be better spouses, to be better moms, to be better dads, to be better kids. Um, we, we can make a difference from our family moving out. It's all going to start at home. Uh, society looks like it's doomed. Uh, you know, the political sphere looks doomed. If you listen to Christian, we're all freaking doomed. But I know my family's not doomed. Mm -hmm. I know my family's going to be okay. And I think that's what we need to focus on is make sure your family's going to be okay. Do what it takes to be okay. So, I'll all right. That was an optimistic way to wrap up. Yeah. Yes. So, thank don't you for joining it, us. Christian. And we will real see quick, you. Real quick, on don't the next forget, podcast. everyone, uh, thank you to Good Ranchers for sponsoring the show. We have our mugs here, the Tread Around and Find Out mugs. I saw a few orders come in during the show. So, thank you to everyone who ordered. Um, so, go to Tread Around and Find Out. We've got shirts, we've got mugs, all kinds of stuff. We'd really appreciate your support. And it's one of the best ways you can now help the show. So, yeah, right. and if you wanna you wanna see my dad's attempt at shirt modeling, you can look at the store too. <laughs> yeah, the kids thought that was pretty funny. So. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you, see you uh, next time. Next time.